dum dee dum dum we're just walking through the fields with nothing on our minds dum dee dum oh crap a tree just set itself on fire and started throwing its branches at us guys we have to get this down on our map self immolating trees are nothing to take lightly it looks like the flaming tree branches set fire to a pile of rancid mold behind us oh it stinks better put that down on the map too the flaming rancid mold has attracted a flock of amazing picky vultures that think we're dead enough to eat. We're not far enough away, and they're mean. Better put that down on the map, too. Well, we gotta get away from all of that, but now we're blocked in by a river, and on the other side is a huge salamander that looks hungry. Better get that on the map, too. Let's see if there's a way around this river. Ow! Okay, we fell down a hole, and now we're on a lower floor. One more thing for the map! I, I think we've had enough for today. Back to town we go. Uh, guys, all that good stuff we had on the map, it looks like the paper got moldy on the ground and fell apart. And I was the one who had waxed paper on the grocery list. Whoops. Here it comes, podcasting's finest few hours of gaming prizes. Action RPG fans, come on down! Final Fantasy players, come on down! Might and Magic lovers, come on down! And Disgaea fanboys, come on down! You are the first four contestants on the RPG Backtrack! And here are the stars of the RPG Backtrack, Phil Willis and Mike Mickey. your swords and prepare your spells. Your friends at RP Gamer got a story to tell. Are you ready to hear about your favorite RPGs? Because we'll be going back a few years in history. If you've got a backlog that is really long, we'll tell you what's right to play and what is wrong. we got RP Gamer staff on the mic to talk about these games for most of the night. So pull up a chair, we will give you no flack. You're listening to the RPG Backtrack. Welcome to RPG Backtrack. This is episode number 124, Mapping the World Tree. And I'm your host, Phil Willis, and this is the other host. What? Am I supposed to introduce myself every time? Do you not know the awesome dulcet tones of Mike Minky by now? Well, gall darn it, then get on the train, people. It might be our new intro song that's throwing them off, Mike. Well, get used to it. 
I gotta say, this tune is pretty darn good, so you better remember it, peoples. Yeah, I, I just what I hear, I just want to keep saying, come on down. So we're gonna, we're gonna keep up with this thing here. Uh, 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 we have two guests on the on the show today. Michael Apps, come on down. Oh my God! What did I win? You won! You won another! You won another three hours of talking about old-fashioned RPGs from the way back when, wait, right wait, up wait. through yesteryear. He either won that, or he can pick from door number one, door number mm. two, or mm. door number three. Dun, you know, dun, talking, talking dun, dun, about the dun, old dun, RPGs dun, sounds dun, great, but dun, I'm going to take door number dun, three. Dun, dun, dun. Mike, oh. tell him what he won. You. I'm sorry, Mr. Apps. Not only did you just lose the chance to talk about a game that you really like, you have to take on an Idea Factory game now. Oh, I'm sorry. No. That stings. You have to go and talk to our suppliers of prizes because how that even got behind the doors when it should be banned by international copyright law is a complete mystery. Wow, maybe our next contestant will do better. Mr. Nathan Schloman, come on down. You know, the announcers never read the name cards right. Mm, <laughs> Mr. Nathan, so, we still have a couple of doors remaining. Which okay. one do you want? I'll take the gamble on door number one. Door number one, Mr. Mike, tell him what he won. Well, you get to listen to the extended and untranslated musings of a drunk White Knight Chronicles designer explaining why a White Knight Chronicles 3 never happened. <laughs> Damn, that's good, Mike. Well, <laughs> you still need to find a translator. <laughs> it's oh, yeah, wow. It was all we could do to get a hold of this alcohol-spattered recording. Translating it was not on our agenda for the night. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you know what? This is this is so good. We might have to do an impromptu session on every RPG backtrack. Uh, wow. Video game humor, uh, game reviews, discussion, and so much more, and a new theme song music. Why do we have a new theme song? Usually we do it every 25 shows. I started a show early. This is number 124 because I'm super excited and stoked. Uh, not only for Mr. Miki's improvisational skills, but because we're talking about a quartet of some of my favorite RPGs. We're talking about Etrian Odyssey 1, 2, 3, and 4. We're going to dive deep into the plots that you didn't know exist in these games. <laughs> and we're going to dig really deep. But wait, there's more. I'm also stoked because we have a new segment we're going to do on the show today. We'll tell you a little bit more about that after our main event. And uh, did I mention new theme song music? Hope you liked it. So hold on tight. We're going to give you some music, some more new music. This is actually going to be from Metri Nasi, though. And we'll be right back in just a moment.
welcome back. We're ready to talk about four Etrian Odyssey games, a quartet, if you will, but they're not really a quartet because they did more later on. Anywho, we're going to talk about the very first Etrian Odyssey, the one that started it all. Etrian Odyssey, developed by Atlas, published by the same, and uh, by Nintendo in Europe and Australia. This was released in North America on May 15th, 2007, a single-player dungeon-crawling map-making RPG experience for your Nintendo DS. Boom! It's here. And, of course, whenever we talk about our RPGs, we start off with the story. Um, deep, deep story. Okay. I've blocked 45 minutes for this discussion. Go. <laughs> so, um. yes. You are the adventurers. So, you you are part of an adventuring guild, and that is your entire identity. So, at the beginning of the game, you just create a bunch of people. Basically, the entire... There are no characters. No major characters are actually characterized whatsoever in this game. You are the characters. The story character. Okay, keep going. Uh, beyond that, I don't know since I don't, haven't actually played a Odyssey one. So I'm just here for three and four. But... Yes. I'm just here for three and four. Okay, okay, okay. Here's what's really funny, boys and girls, okay? And here's a little RPG backtrack secret. Uh, it's going to shock people, but I don't actually have all these facts that I mentioned at the beginning of every every game. I tell you what year it came out and all that other fun stuff. I don't actually have all that memorized. I look it up on Wikipedia. And and on Wikipedia, whenever it talks about an RPG, there's usually a story section. But for some odd reason, there's not a story section. It goes right to gameplay. <laughs> what is up okay. with that? <laughs> what gives? The thing about this series is that it's actually really story light. Or okay, that's not quite true. Actually, there is some interesting story to these games. It's just it's not told with cutscenes or big fancy events most of the time. It's just mood and atmosphere and little details here and there. As you, it's a game about you know it's a classic dungeon crawler. All right, it's about, but it's... You know, there's a base town and you go into the dungeons and you dive through them and all of the focus is on the dungeon exploration itself. Okay. So, okay, okay. Let's check it out. I played this game, right? And it I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to tell you what the story is. And I'm totally not going to dramatize this, okay guys? This is totally <laughs> this is totally the real story here, okay? All right. Um the, 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 there there is this dungeon. It, it, it's not really a dungeon though. It's really like a big foresty thing. Whatever. It's called the Ig Igdris. I can't even pronounce your name correctly. Yggdrasil. I'm not going to get thank you. Labyrinth. It's just a labyrinth. Yes. It's a gigantic maze of woods that's like a dungeon, but it's made out of trees. And it just popped up one day close to the town of Etria. Now, this is really cool because it's not any mere dungeon or mazy-like forest. No, no, no. It, it, it's, it's huge, and it's got monsters, and it's got to have riches in there somewhere. So word quickly spread across the world, calling out to experience adventures from every corner. Come, brave its deaths, and maybe you'll uncover its secrets, or it'll kill you. But they didn't—they left off that last part because that wasn't good PR. And this was really cool for the town of Etria, which is aptly named because that's the name in the game of the game. It was really cool because before this, this this whole big foresty dungeon thing crawled, it popped up. It, it, the town was in an economic crisis. They they really you know they, they their tourism was down. Uh, you know forestry forestry wasn't doing too well. 
But now with this big, huge-ass dungeon with untold secrets behind it, adventures were coming far and wide, ready to spend lots of gold in the in the in the gift shop and you know in the inn and everything else. So uh, so it went from being a no-name town to being a tourist attraction. And uh, and uh, so the town's alive again because of the sudden appearance of this labyrinth and all the explorers coming in, giving lots of money to the establishments. And, and, and because this was growing and all these adventures were coming in, they needed to establish a way to keep all this organized. They established the Explorers Guild to help keep things organized and to help adventures form into guilds. That's it. That's the epic story. You're moved, aren't you? Pretty epic. Yeah. yeah have, once yeah, that that is get... definitely on the level of Tolstoy and Homer right there. Okay. <laughs> I, I wonder if this is uh there the following there is there how spoil there is there is a document on the internet that says the following document describes the truth behind the Yggdrasil labyrinth of Etrian Odyssey. Ooh, there is know. actually some crazy backstory to these things which I've only barely seen myself in the games I've heard a lot about which is actually really interesting it's just it's not told through cutscenes it's just random stuff you find right it's random it's, things that happen it's like little notes and stuff you find and yeah and, and putting to the, exactly mm-hmm. I could read this and it'd be incredibly spoilerific <laughs> which yeah. which you know is what we're all about yeah yeah, yeah. so the, here are some little tidbits about Etrian Odyssey one I'm not entirely sure how confirmed this is in the games by themselves, but I have heard this is, in fact, a direct, if distant, sequel to the original Shin Megami Tensei series. It Re- really re- could be, yeah. actually. Yeah. Basically, long after, basically, all the Gaians and whatnot who kind of have, have their big, crazy battles in post-apocalyptic Japan, eventually, thousands of years later, it turns into the world of a Odyssey. That's kind of one of the things hidden in the background of the series. Hmm. Um, let's see here. And, yeah, there's all kinds of other crazy stuff. Like, man, I'm not even sure where to start, but... Well, we have some... We have I may some... understand the basics of this because I, Etrian Untold is a remake in story of the first one, right? Yeah, yeah. It, mm-hmm. there's a lot more character stuff and adds some stuff, oh, yeah. I believe. But it's basically a remake of the first one, which means that the central climate, the central climactic event, the climactic revelation, that well, you know, I I can only speak to Untold, so I probably shouldn't talk about the first one much because I'm sure it's a lot sparer here. Mm. Well. But there Speaking are of, there are some very prominent NPCs in this game. There's the innkeeper. Yeah, you get to become real <laughs> close with the innkeeper. Go Wait, ahead. What about yeah, the shopkeeper? Shopkeeper takes <laughs> all these all these lovely enemy entrails that you keep bringing and turning them into things that you can buy and equip. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, oh, there's the guy at the church who resurrects your butt when you die. Kind of like that guy. Yeah, it's a guy, right? It's not a chick. I, I don't know. It's been a while. There's no, there's no church. No church. You resurrect party members at the inn. Oh really? Gosh, it has been yeah. a while. Wow. <laughs> Ooh. Or uh, the, I don't. Is untold the fir- the one that has the bar where you can go to get optional quests from random people who are just yeah. All the games have that. Okay. All right. So. 
So did y'all see that link that I pasted there? Should I should I read that or is that a bit too long? See it's, there's there's a there's a link there. It's probably too long, but yeah. So a lot of games to cover, so don't want to so, talk too much on. So what we'll tell what we'll tell you then is Google the Igs. If you want to know more about the very deep plot of Edrian Odyssey, uh, I would Google the Igdrizzle Truth, and uh, there's a there's a an interesting. It is an interesting. I'm reading through it. It is actually pretty interesting, but it is a bit wordy. So probably a little too long for the podcast, but check that out. And uh, but like uh, Nathan said, uh, the the story is kind of unveiled a little by little in tidbits and clues as you go throughout. And it's not really the main focus of the game. What is the main focus of the game is crawling through the dungeons, but, and that starts off with creating your party. So let's talk about since you don't really have very prominent NPCs driving this plot forward to talk about. Let's talk about what does drive the game forward: the classes you can create. I hear there's a few classes you can pick from in this game. There are. Yes, yeah. there are many classes. Yes. Um, so let's start off with the uh, fighter. I bet you there's a fighter. Nope. Darn it. There's Gladiator. a Oh, Lanschnick, that's right. <laughs> Dang it. Phil, it sounds like you just said Lanschnick. Schnick. You know, you know, the Wolverine, Wolverine. claw coming out that's sound the, effect. That's the way I read it every time I, when I was playing the game many moons ago. <laughs> that's the way I read it. Every time I bring him out in the party, I go, Schnick. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, Lanschnick, what does he do? Because that's a weird name. I don't know what the hell it does. Uh, here's an interesting. Forward. Apparently, oh. that class was just called a swordsman in Japan. I'm confused. Yeah, that's that's the, confusing. I know what a swordsman the does. Did, the localization added a little bit of character and color to a lot of these names. <laughs> so, I think, like, I think stuff like Paladin was the name of one in the Japanese version, which changed to, I believe, Protector in the U.S. I might be getting this backwards, but. Oh, sounds well, about right. I, I understand both of those words. Paladin is more than a protector, I would say, but that that seems fairly applicable. Yeah, but yeah, I'm not sure why they used the name of a type of German mercenary for the main <laughs> fighter class. I mean, once you look at the pictures, you get the idea, at least. Yeah, and the thing about okay, Landsnecht, basically you're straightforward, it crushes things with powerful sword attacks class, and I think axes as well. I believe so. Yep. Axes. And that's what it does. And it does it quite well, I believe. Does he have any cool skills that make him feel awesome? Probably yes. There's a lot oh, of yes. in the series. Yeah. Hmm. I it's been a long time, so I couldn't pull a specific one do, do, out to mind. What, were his skills were his skills more being a fighter, they tend to be tanky? Was it more about being tanky or was it about doing damage? Nope. That's not tanky. This is damage. This is yeah. damage. Oh, yeah. is the damage dealer. Okay, fair enough. I think they're not exactly easily killed, but they're... No, the, the protector, that's your tank. It's got various abilities like, you know, protect front, which means it raises the shield and protects the front line, or protect rear, which it raises the shield and protects the rear line. That's mostly all it does. It's basically raise the party's defense in various ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you, you were right, that was called Paladin in Japan. But yeah, that that one had a lot of useful abilities. Yeah, definitely made good use of all those. Yeah, a class in t- you know a pure tank class isn't, you don't see very often in turn-based RPGs, but it's really useful. Oh in my this god, series. it is. Yes, I will go on long talks when you get more to three, which is a bit more what I'm more familiar with, but <laughs> they're useful. Okay, uh, let's take a look at the alchemist. It's called alchemist, but it's really more of the blowing things up with elemental magic class. 
Yeah. There, there's a lot of these across the series. They always change name, but you know, it hits yeah. the fire, ice, lightning, and poison in this game. Al- almost a bit, like, sadly straightforward. Like, there's yeah. nothing nothing interesting to find here. It's just, it's a mage. Yeah. I mean, you, it, not that you don't Except those, instead but, of yeah. instead of channeling uh, the spirits or whatever, you're just mixing various unseen ingredients together to create these effects. So, yeah, it's it's in a, the most vaguely scientific way possible. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a theme for the series. The magicians aren't they don't they're not really mystical. They're actually rather more scientific. Hmm. Okay. What about the dark hunter? Is she they're really dark? The, more crazy bondage people. Ooh, bondage! Oh, talking uh, about bondage. They use whips to bind people. Uh, is, like bind they... people up on bedposts. Oh, this is exciting, Nathan! <laughs> wow, keep keep going. I would try no, to. I would try to okay, gear you the... away from that, except that all those all the ability except, names like feed like, into that. Ooh, ultimate, like yeah, can you bind like... feet, Mike? Actually, bind yes. yes. Oh, can, can you bind? Can you bind hands and arms? Yes. yes. Isn't it and, arm and leg bind? Oh, and ooh, head bind. bind. And, and head? Bind oh, so you can bind. really tie every body part to the bed and just go at... Oh, this is great. And I'm looking at a picture yeah. of the uh, character concept here. She's wearing like a bikini. She's ready to go. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to dodge that. Especially some of their ability names too, but... Yeah. Ooh, ooh, tell me some of the ability <laughs> names, Nathan. Climax. Whoa! <laughs> wow! Wow, this is a rated R game, isn't it? Holy cow. Climax, really? Oh my gosh. I think, yeah, I think really. we've passed R. Once we see these Woo. things carried out, it's NC-17. Whoa, whoa. You know what? I'm sorry. Nathan, you got me so excited. I'm actually, I actually Googled it. Listen to this, guys. He's not kidding. Climax, cuffs. You got cuffs? Ecstasy? I mean, holy cow! It just oh, oh this is too much. Oh my god! Oh. Let, let's move on yeah, before yeah. Phil has a seizure. Yeah, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is a really good one though. If, if your if your if your bondage is not going good though, they even have a spell to help get you out of it. It's hypnos, sword stab with the chance of putting the enemy to sleep. So you can put it in. If it's not working out, it's not you. It's oh, you fell asleep. Oh, we can't do this. Ah, oh, see, that's your out. Yeah, basically, there's either there's either oh. the whip version, which is all about binds, or sword version, which is all about status ailments. And Nathan, Nathan, how could yeah. you? How could you not mention gag? <laughs> <laughs> so you've got shackles, uh. you got cuffs, you can gag. Then you go on to ecstasy and climax. <laughs> I told him straight up what this is. I'm not lying. <laughs> I can't breathe. It's too good. <laughs> but okay, the thing is, like, you know, this, this is a status ailment class. And let me straight, say it right up status ailments are really good in this series. I lied about this class. is really don't. good. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really good in the series, but this class, for me at least, kind of peters out. It's not just good. It's not just they're not just they're just not good in the dungeon. They're also good. They're also good when you hit back to the tavern. Get to the end. It's the class that keeps on giving. It doesn't receive. It just gives. 
Okay, I'm going away now. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Let's take advantage of Phil to... being out of breath and move on a little bit, shall we? <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so yes. that particular class that shall no longer be named uh, <laughs> isn't so great the farther you get into the game because you run into a lot of bosses and stuff. That, Make it stop. Uh, its abilities don't work on, so yeah, I kind of... This is the series which gets a little... The series is great, but this particular, the first entry is a little rough around the edges in terms of, like, character balance. Such. Yeah. Which yeah. brings us to the next class. It's kind of the opposite end of balance, which is the medic. Oh, my God, the medic. the medic. Whoa, whoa. Survival's you the want. next one on my list. You... What's the survivalist? It's we'll the get to that. Survival, we, we talk. We'll get to survivalist. First, is, we must praise the medic. Is that what left over after the Dark Hunter does her job? <laughs> okay, medic, so go ahead. Yeah, medics, well, they heal stuff, you need healing, and they have the most broken ability in the game. Just yeah. Flat out. Okay, so you need a medic. Yeah. yeah I... Because, as I said, they're, they have an ability called Immunize. Yeah. Effective like Immunize, you take less damage. How much less damage? 90% less damage. Get out. Like, yeah, all the and... time? Yeah. Like, do you have to cast it? Yeah, you yes. have to cast it, but it takes up one of your three buff slots, but it's the best choice for any buffing. It's yeah, ridiculously and, broken. And, like, the final boss is uh, so kind of unbalanced that you pretty much have to have a medic with this ability or be super overleveled. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Gotta have the medic. Oh, okay. Well, that that sounds like a must-have. I'm glad you guys are mentioning this, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, what about Survivalist? Survivalist is, as far as I'm aware, the don't really use it in a fight class. It has all the special useful abilities like locating where the enemies are, helping finding more items you can gather in the dungeons. It's, it's well, there's a more honest name for this class down in 3, but here it's just the helpful class that does stuff that's kind of useful, like avoid monsters and stuff. It's, it can fight, but it's not great at it. Yeah. So, it's a class that has the ability to let you take less damage from environmental hazards? I believe so. Yeah, it's a good thing if you can help gather more stuff from the gathering points, but it's not going to help you win a fight. No. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what about the Protector? Didn't we already talk about the Protector? I already covered that. It's basically, it raises shield and protects people from damage. Uh, well, we it's talked about the Lanschnicked. <clears throat> okay, so okay, so then we have uh, two, that, that's all the, the, the beginning classes, right? Yep. Oh, Troubadour. No, no, you're right, Troubadour. Okay, Troubadour. It's the buffing class. Buffing Gives class. you buffs. Including some nice ones, like I believe a boost to how much experience you gain, which is really helpful. But All right. And then give you buffs. there's two classes you can uncover in the game. The Ronin. Now we've got the Ronin. Did y'all uncover Ronin? Ronin's yeah. it's kind of like Landstack. It's a heavy physical attack class with a couple tricks and special abilities. Yeah. Is Which it better? Uh... I don't know. <laughs> ah, didn't fool around Maybe. with it too much. I replaced. Yeah, I replaced. I actually replaced my um, class that shall not be named with one of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Probably a good choice. Yeah, it, were, it just didn't really work out too much against the last boss because I didn't want to spend a lot of time. I mean, because once. You're pretty far in the game once you unlock it, and then you know you got to level them up from level one, which takes forever. So, um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of like uh, some of these classes that you know, that are locked for the late game because it just it takes way too long to level up a new character. 
Getting set yeah, up. Yeah, give and take a while. Yeah. yeah. I, Get, the thing about the Ronin, I guess, quick description of what it can do is basically has three different stances. It uses each of which is different associated physical attacks. That, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's basically about controlling those and hitting enemy hard with those different stances, which have different kind of fighting style. It's a little bit more complex than some of the other classes, but still it's pretty much a straightforward physical attacker. As much as there is a such thing as a straightforward physical attacker in this series, because yeah. there's all kinds of crazy character synergy, which is <laughs> hard to describe because yeah. it's very complex. So, so this is kind of just like a more interesting fighter than the one I can't pronounce. <laughs> um, Land Landschnicht. 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 I don't know. I, I don't know. Just add a thick <sighs> German accent to make it sound better, I guess. <clears throat> and uh, last but not least is the Hexer. Kind of, it's the debuffing class. It's designed to make enemies worse in every possible yeah, way. So- the opposite of the troubadour. Would it be similar to any other class you could think of? Only one that uh, shall not be named. Yes. Well, that one's no. That one's not necessarily debuffing so much as it is like preventing certain ability usages. Yeah, the thing. This one's yeah. more about lowering stats as well. Yeah. And, and such. Okay. Cool, cool. There is a distinction. Hit- uh. Mag, uh, Mr. Apps, when did you play this game? Um, I, it was uh, it was a few it was, it was years ago. I uh, was it close to the original release. It was not like I got into the series late, and I was actually finishing this one up as the third game came out. So, not all that uh, long ago. What would it be? Two thousand ten, maybe nine or ten, something like that. Yeah, something like that. So, uh, which would be why I never really played two, hmm. because three came out and that was the new hotness. Okay, so yeah, I never, I never used that. I never used the hexer, unfortunately. Hexers, not me. All right, so uh, all right, we talked about the classes. We make a party of adventurers now. You can register them with, and, and I get all my. It's been years since I played this game, but correct me. So you guys can correct me if I say something wrong here. But you can register them with the uh, what is it called? The, not the guild, but the, the the basically where all the adventures go, the adventures hall or whatever. You can register any adventures that you make there. You can technically make as many as you well, maybe not as many as you want, but you can make a bunch. It's like a yeah. lot, yeah, more yeah, than you'll ever need. More than you'll ever need. Um, and then you can, t- but you take five out at a time. Quick question for you guys: Did any of you make more than five and rotate them out on whatever basis? Yeah, you can. I have done it, to, especially in four. I've been doing that. The problem is that's well, uh, even in three, I did that. It's actually, you know, you have to if you want to try all the classes because they're, they're fun to mess with. But uh, it reduces how much experience you're getting, which means more grinding. And it requires get more money yeah. to get more experience. Stuff, which it adds some difficulty. It's better to focus on a small team that really works, and maybe have a backup. It does help to have a backup farming team to help find out, like add some survivalists. You only bring in for going if you want to go out and harvest some nodes from mining or gathering or chopping and such. That's really something that's useful to do. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, you want yeah, to make I, take advantage of this. It's just having for best to focus a single battle team if you can. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so you got your you get your group of five adventures and you head off into the labyrinth. And this is the, obviously the meat and the potatoes 
of the game. So before we get to the obvious what makes this game cool mechanic, uh, can you guys speak on to what uh, <clears throat> about the dungeon crawling aspects of the game specifically and the atmosphere and everything but the map? <laughs> <laughs> what makes this... What, compare this to, well, let's say... Well, it's first person. Let's start there. Yep, yep. I mean, the game's a lot like, let's say, your might and your old school might and magic uh, dungeon crawling games. Oh my gosh, how many dungeon crawling games are there? And now I'm drawing a blank. There's like a dozen of them. Uh, Wizardry, Shining in the Darkness, Shining in the Darkness, uh, Eye of the Beholder. Your first person perspective, going into a dungeon, except it's made out of all trees, which is kind of cool. It reminds me of the uh, some of the might and magic games where you're uh-huh. in the Overland and you can see, um, uh, you know, when you're going from like town to town in, in might and magic. Uh, and you'll see like trees to the left of you. It still feels like you're in a dungeon because it's tile based, and you're taking ninety degree turns wherever you go. And and you are. It isn't like open world. There are paths you have to go on. So even the overworld in some of the Might Magic games feel a little dungeony. That's the way Etrian Odyssey's dungeons kind of come come out. You 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 are in a forest. You're outdoors. You're not in a dungeon per se, but it's certainly built like a dungeon. Well, not until you get to some of the later parts, anyway. Yeah. yeah and, uh, yeah, oh. I especially like the atmosphere of the last, the last area of the dungeon. Yeah, yeah, basically, basically dungeon section of the Oop, lost Nathan there for a second there. We'll have him back in just a minute. What makes that last dungeon so cool, Mr. Mike? Well, spoilers. I'll explain something first. Okay, okay. go ahead, Nathan. Go ahead. Dungeons in the Trinoxy series tend to be broken up in different things called stratums, which is generally a collection of three or four floors, which all have, have the same tile set to music, and it can generate similar themes. But every time you go, you go to the bottom of a stratum, there's a powerful boss. You beat that, you move on to the next stratum, which is sometimes very different kind of tone and look and themes and mood. It would insert music, and you kind of keep going through these, so it's like, four or five any, normally in a game name plus usually a bonus one at the end so that's what it means by different areas in the game yeah and really the games do a great job of making uh, moving on to the next stratum like feel like a great accomplishment you know they really do yeah and it's always cool to see what's what's up next you know hear the new music because all the music is fantastic um, well, let's get to that later because the music sure, is sure. my is a very noted composer in the video game world. Um, oh yes, there is one thing that definitely makes these dungeons different than any others I've seen. It's the it's that FOE thing. <laughs> Wait, we need to have a link to that song. Somewhere. Yes, we yes we do. <laughs> so let's talk about the FOE thing, Mike. What is that? What is this? What is this FOE thing you speak of? You want me to take it, or does somebody else want to take it? It's well, FOE is an acronym meaning something. I don't know what the letters mean, but basically it means this big glowing orange ball, which if you run into it while exploring the dungeons, is a giant boss fight. Basically, every almost every dungeon floor has these basically these incredibly powerful monsters just wandering around them, doing things like patrolling hallways or just kind of chilling out until you get too close or what have you. And they're major exploration hazards. It's because they're powerful bosses. You don't need to fight them. You can avoid them and walk around them, but they will chase you and hunt you down and make your life miserable if you're not careful. Yeah, and, and they they even move while you're in a regular battle. Which yeah, is every turn of a normal really battle, scary. they'll take a step, and sometimes it's a step towards you. And, and if they touch yes. you while you're in the middle of battle, they'll throw themselves into the battle you're currently fighting and attack you mid-battle. Yeah. And that can ruin your day. 
So it's kind of a really cool mix of random enemy, like random encounters and on screen, like on map encounters. Uh, so it, it just works really well. Yeah. So, so the foes were glowing balls at this point, right? You couldn't yeah. necessarily so tell. Yeah, just the glowing orange ball on the screen. That's okay. Which is somehow even scarier than knowing in advance what that thing is that's chasing you. Yeah, sometimes you yeah. have no idea what's chasing you. All you know is that it's chasing you. And what's really funny is that it only takes a step as you take a step. Never mm-hmm. have you felt your blood pressure go up so much, the tension <laughs> rise over something that if you stand still, it's just going to wait on you. It's not going anywhere until you move. <laughs> like if I take another step, will it go back or go forward? Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember if this this was in the first one, but it, at least in some of the later ones, uh, there's like areas of maps where you move slower. So when you move once, they move twice. Yeah, which can be or, very frightening. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think like, there's there might be a couple of those. Yeah, that's also you need to be careful of hazard panels and various other things, behaviors. and It can get pretty complicated. There's lots of really interesting puzzles they built into the dungeons built entirely around these FOEs, and yeah. it's really fun. These these are some of the best dungeons you're going to find, really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one... Things like, you know, they're not they're not the hardest dungeons, but, you know, because, you know, they're not unfair, horrible things that blind you and spin you around, oh. and if you know where you're going, and then teleport you. It's yeah. not that kind of dungeon. They're fair. Yeah. They're very they're, honest and straightforward, hey, and they're still difficult and interesting and complicated. I, I was just going to remind Phil that this actually came out before that other first-person <laughs> affair on the DS that is not that is even more of a throwback to the point where dungeons did deliberately beat you upside the head with every step. Mother flicking, beacon, flicking. So, Etrian Odyssey is not unfair like that. It'll beat no. you upside the head still, but you won't feel like that was undeserved. No. Yeah, and but, you know, if you mess up in this game, it's, you know, it's something you can learn from. It's something you can avoid next time. Well, and there, and there's some there's there's a point I want to talk about on that towards the end too. So uh, we'll, we'll hold off on that a little bit. Um, so <clears throat> so the uh, so in dungeon crawlers, they are notorious for having all kinds of traps to throw adventurers off course, whether they're teleportation, spin them around, deadly poison traps. Speak about the the dungeon design in this game, as from well, a mechanical, more mechanical perspective. You see, the, 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 this game doesn't have as much in the way of explicit, you walk, on a tra- you walk on a tile and suddenly a boulder falls in your head. It doesn't have that. Instead, it has you step forward. You see a peaceful garden of beautiful light and happy rabbits bouncing around. Ooh. Do you want to take a rest? Yes. No. Yeah, if you say yes, you are ambushed by horrible monsters who attack you. Get you, out. Say, no, you, you could happens. be though. There's no guarantee. Sometimes it'll be just as peaceful as it looks. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes to be a certain class mem- member will t- say, "Oh, hey, hey, it's peaceful. It's fine, and you'll be fine." Other times, you don't have that member, and you, you basically need to run that, roll that little dice in the background and see whether or not you get terribly hurt or not. And <laughs> sometimes it's entirely determined, and it's interesting. Hmm. Okay. Um, did you did you feel that the overall uh, design of each of the dungeons was it creative? Did it keep you interested? Did they get monotonous? Dungeons are awesome. I, I yeah. can't say that enough. This is yeah, a game all about dungeons, and it's done very very well. There's there's one really cool thing I liked about this one that um, 
if you when you're going along you might notice that there's certain sections like on each floor that you know you never wander to so there's kind of like blank spaces on the map and eventually you get to the point where you actually wind your way back through previous floors and sections that were previously unavailable like all the way up to the top of the dungeon uh, which is kind of a yeah. cool touch. It's amazing how long you can go through the game without being able to open a certain locked door. Absolutely yep. amazing. Yep. And then you go past it, and there's some pretty cool stuff back there. Hmm. Um, and, uh, let, let me just get this out there, because the later games have this annoying 60-item limit. Was that in place at the very start? I believe so. Okay. Yeah, it's, you can only carry so much loot out of the dungeon, so... So whenever enemies are being very generous and they leave you with numerous body parts in their death, then eventually you're going to reach the point at which you have to start saying, I have to start throwing these things away. I cannot keep all of this. Or get out, save, unload it on the shopkeeper who will turn the, the, the insect carapaces and the tree roots and the the eyeballs of the amphibians that you just slaughtered into yeah. weapons somehow. The thing about this is that, you know, enemies don't drop money. They just don't. Instead, they drop their parts, and then you can sell them. And not only do you get money back for selling these parts, by selling these parts, you can unlock new weapons. I mean, anyone who's played Persona 4 will see it pretty, it's pretty similar to that. And that's because it's basically taken from the same developers, so they took some of the same idea from Metro Nazi and used it into Persona 4. Uh, yeah. Not sure what to say about it. Hmm. I really like it though. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, um, I like I like it. It's just that I have this apparent, apparent knack of filling up my inventory without being ready to leave the dungeon. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, that, that happens all the time. The trick to that is that they usually sort it so the least valuable stuff is at the bottom of the list. So just remove stuff from the bottom, replace it up with newer stuff, or maybe they added from three or four. I can't remember, but that's the kind. Of, you need to know what's more valuable than other stuff so you can just ditch the stuff you don't need and hold on to the stuff you do. And in the original, there were no classes that had an ability which lets you recoup some money if you toss stuff away while in the dungeon, right? I didn't know it existed any of them. Hey, you know what would be really funny is if you see Mike Meeky on that next show about hoarders. You know, they just can't (laughs) let go. (laughs) No, it's all mine. You can't have my precious loot. But it's only worth a copper piece, sir. No, it's all mine. I gotta take it with me. Um... So, well, Mike touched on... I can get behind that. (laughs) Mike touched on a mechanic that I almost completely forgot about, and that's the fact that... I don't know if any of you can speak about it in more detail, but I vaguely remember the fact that, depending on what you went back and sold to the shopkeeper, it would unlock new weapons and armor, right? Yep. Yep. Um, And, for example, sometimes they'd be pretty rare. Like, sometimes you only need to get a rare item dropped by an FOE in order to unlock certain weapons, which tend to be really good weapons. What did you all think about that mechanic? It works. It's actually a pretty it's, sensible way of unlocking new stuff. It yeah, starts to explore and experiment. Yeah, it's perfectly suited for this kind of game. You know, the more you explore, the more powerful enemies you take on. You know, it leads to rewards to get better gear and stuff. It it, it's just, like, you know, it works. Melon's solving this dungeon for you. You need to do it for yourself, and that's the yeah. thing that reinforces that tone. Yeah. Yeah. You are explorers. You are going to uncharted places and finding things that people didn't know about, and the parts that you are finding down there are unlocking all these wonderful things that other people will be able to make use of in the future. And I don't know, maybe I'm reading a little more into it than the developers intended, but that's a cool thing. Yeah, yeah. no, that's exactly what they intended. I mean, this is the story is you're the first people to, to ever do this. That's the recurring theme and tone of this series, so that you are the explorers, you're on the very cutting edge of this exploration. 
no one's ahead of you, everyone's behind you. That's kind of the cool thing about it. Um, now, was did the shopkeeper tell you specifically what she needed to unlock the next things, or or was that something um, you discovered I I, haphazardly? It sometimes they tell you, sometimes they don't. I think by four I, they're telling you more. I think even beforehand, even yeah, in three, I, they're not I can only speak much. with regard to the later games, but if you have one of the required ingredients, but not all of them, then it will show up as here's something that you will eventually be able to buy, and here are the other items that you need to yeah, supply that's in order to get it. Yeah, more they do. I mean, sometimes, you know, you just get an item out of nowhere without even expecting it. It's like, oh, hey, cool. I kind of like that. And otherwise, just sometimes they give you a hint, sometimes they don't. But generally, almost everything can be used for something. So it's best to hold up, get as much as you can. And also, some worth noting that in this series, Enemies don't drop their loot entirely by raw chance. There's a lot of enemies who have special loot which you can only get by doing special conditions, like it'll only drop its loot if its head is bound while you kill it, or you know if you kill it fire, or if it's asleep. Yes, there's all or it's killed by instant death. There's a lot of these little tricks. Or by ice, whatever. Or by yeah, there's all uh, the way you fight battle determines what loot you get sometimes, and you know figuring out these how to get these items and bringing them back and selling them to get special stuff is really important. Okay. Um, I don't think we talk about too much more without talking about the what really makes Etrian Odyssey stand out. The, the use of the DS's other screen for something really, really handy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, in Etrian, and I'm an artist, so I love this part. Um, in Etrian Odyssey, you get to draw your map on the bottom screen as you're going through the dungeon. You get to draw the lines, the walls. You can you can set it to, to show you where the squares that you walked on were. But uh, you get to add notations, markings, notes, the walls. Uh, a lot of the mapping you're definitely doing uh, by hand. And that kind of sounds tedious, but it's actually pretty darn fun. Uh, boy, I mean, back in the old days when I played Dungeon Crawlers, uh, you you basically had we would buy graph paper and we would draw the map carefully on the graph paper as we we're going through because some of these some of these dungeons and some of these old uh, DOS games and stuff were were pretty evil. Uh, or you bought or you broke down and just bought the hint guide where they would have all the maps drawn out for you. Uh, but uh, being able to draw it on the bottom DS screen is such a stroke of genius. It, it just it just totally makes sense. Plus, you're and playing- they give you such a nice array of icons that you can just choose. Here's my icon for an obstruction in the way that will eventually move, or here's my icon for uh, a site where I can get a health refill for a little bit. It, it, they supply you with plenty of stuff so that it's not just a bare screen, and then you have to fill in everything by yourself. No, you can you can totally leave. You can put little notation markings on it with a little symbol that when you click, you know, when you press on it, it um, you know, it, it tells you, you know, shows you the text that you wrote in there. Uh, it's very, very handy, and, and this is super cool because as a portable game, I'm not necessarily uh, carrying graph paper with me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and I don't, yeah. and I don't always have um, access to to fax or online maps and the such. So having this map down here that I can draw on is just, you know, within the game itself is just invaluable. I it, it, it just does so much to make the exploration more interesting and fun too. It just... Yeah, and I'm playing Shimigami Tensei Strange Journey, which has c- complete auto-mapping, more or less, a- and I find myself missing, number one, the ability to draw the map and leave notes especially, 
um, I'm in the some of uh, one of the dungeons or one of the hallways I'm in has those dark hallways that for some odd reason the game doesn't map the floor or the walls in the dark hallway and if this was Etrian Odyssey as I'm hitting against dark walls and such I could map them all out but because it's Strange Journey it doesn't show up anywhere on the <laughs> auto map and so I literally spent I don't know close to two hours in this one section of the dungeon just hitting dark walls I finally broke down and looked online and you know I could see that the exit really wasn't that far away from my nose but again in Etrianasi this wasn't nearly as frustrating because you could write down notes and map everything whether or not you saw it or you didn't see it and you were free to make your own mistakes if you drew the map incorrectly (laughs) yeah more than that I think you just learn the dungeons better that way mapping it on your own yeah, it really pulls you. Yeah. pulls you in. It really helps you figure out, you know, the routes the FOEs are taking. Since you know, there are, every FOE appears as a marker on the map once you spot them and map them out and such, and figure out where they're moving, how they're moving. And then you know where you're you are on the map, where you're facing on the map, and it's all kinds of useful tools that help a lot avoiding FOEs, getting to where you want to go, slowly finding all the secret passages you need to use in order to get to the dungeons more efficiently. There's a lot that's really good and helpful in there. And you know, mm-hmm. you know, you're making the map, so you know, with all these tools, so it's made the way that works for you. So you don't have to figure out someone else's mapping scheme; you just use your own. Exactly. Like, I mean, it doesn't even tell you what these colors are supposed to be used for. It just gives you a bunch of colors to make the map with. So <laughs> this is those, whatever you want, whatever makes work, makes sense for you. This is one of the games that came up with the best uses I've seen of the second screen on the DS. It really is. I mean, there's a handful of games with some really cool stuff, but a few things are just so simple and effective and always helpful like this one. And it's it's addictive. I, I mean, I can't speak for this game in particular, but the games I've played, you really want to try and map out the whole floor and get every last bit on there because it's fun. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, and you have to to make a perfect map. You need to face every wall to see if there's a secret passage or there's a secret object there. So you need to. <laughs> Examine every little pillar from every side just to be. To, I might be a little overly cautious about that, but I do that. I think that's part of the charm of the game. Is like I need to make this map perfect. Uh, just so much fun with that map, I and mean, that really is the staple of the entire series, right? I mean, the map pretty system works pretty much the same in you every know, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah with some refinements. It's it like you get like a ton more icons by the time you get to four and such, but it's. Cool. It works well. And then eventually the autopilot ability, which I love. Yeah. Which we can't really talk about because that's past our current purview. No, that's that well, shows we, up. We in, can mention that, that it exists. How's that? It shows up in three, but yeah. Oh, it does. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's in three and four. And and four. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah no, I'm, I'm thinking early. of I'm thinking of the floor jump. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. No, no, there's an no, there's ability to you know just put on little arrow markers on the map and thus hit a button so you automatically move wherever the arrows point you whenever you go through. So you can just hit a button and it'll just carry you like a conveyor belt through the map uh, on a tr- route you, you've charted out. It's just kind of a neat little option. I never used it, but it's kind of a neat little option. Yeah, let's save that one until we get to three. Sure. We're still talking about the first one. I explained it, though, too late. Okay, then let's mention the one thing we haven't really talked about yet. Yuzo Koshiro is an awesome composer. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's much awesome music in this game and this series. Just, it's really good. I be- well, believe he actually recorded it on some old kind of PC, right? Like this is yeah, I, authentic I think he, retro music. He deliberately I, recorded it with uh, the 
the sound capabilities of old computers in mind. And yeah, isn't this the com- a composer who once like programmed his own sound engine for the sake of creating his compositions? Yeah, I think that was for Streets of Rage 3. He used a, a random generation machine to program the music. And you know what? I like the music in San- Streets of Rage 3 and Streets of Rage 1 and 2. Those games have awesome music. And ActRaiser, he composed the music for that. Wow. And I think he composed a bunch of music for Falcom in the 90s for the Ease games. And, oh, well, okay then. <laughs> and for, Re- for Revenge of Shinobi, he composed that music. This man has been around, and he knows what he's doing in the musical realm. Uh, this game is certainly proof of that. Yeah, there, there are not enough words to describe how much I like the music in this series. Oh, so, so good. So good. He even and composed a few tracks for Castlevania Portrait of Ruin. Not very many, uh, but... The clock tower and the opening theme; those are his. <laughs> yeah, well, oh. there's good music in there. There's, the music is so great, and there's even there's even like uh, arranged albums for some of the music. That's also just fantastic. Yeah, I there. Just I mean, every stratum has its own song, which is such a great thing. The mood and the battle themes are just great. Some of the big boss battles just in these incredibly great rock themes that get your blood pumping. Yeah, there's no other ways to describe it. It's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's you know, some of, like we're gonna need to somewhere in the middle here show some of the like the boss battle theme from three because that's one of my favorite boss battle yes. themes in any video game ever. Yes, and I would say that the the theme from when you're on the ocean and doing battle in three is really really good. Yeah, that's a pretty good cool one too. Right. Um. Yeah, you hear that, Phil? I think we might have to take more musical breaks than usual. Oh, how will the people cry out in terror? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, and uh, so, um, so, so, okay. So let, let's focus a little bit more on the gameplay for just a matter of the character. So as you gain levels, you get skill points, right? Yes. And uh, how do you, what, what, what do you do with those skill points? Uh, you're able to select different abilities, kind of, and which kind of have a limited set to start off with and the more you level up some, they opens up new abilities. Yeah, um, basically, the, you know, you get a certain number of points and, you know, unless you put a point into an ability, you're not going to have any access to it whatsoever. Characters don't get abilities automatically, they don't get them from leveling up, you need to manually build the characters. And you can't get everything. Yeah. But that means that you have complete say in how your characters grow. It does, which isn't always a good thing in the first one, because you may miss that awesome ability by, from the medic and have to respec, which makes you lose several yeah. levels and have to do I mean, lots of grinding. Not that that happened to me or anything. <laughs> Certainly not. I, you know, I appreciate the fact that actually even they do let you respec, which is kind of a cool thing. Yeah. You know, so this team is not working for me. You don't have to rebuild and restart from level one. Instead, you just need to lose five levels. And it's called rest the character, and you get all their points back. And to, you know, I only had to do this a few times so far as I've been playing the series, but it's really helpful when you do it right. And problems, of course, there. It's kind of it's really hard to make up five levels in this series, yeah. but you know, it can still be very much worthwhile. Yeah, it's certainly better than the alter- alternative if you realize that, you know, hey, I don't really like how I've built this character and I want a different set of skills. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to have that option to just, you know, suck it up and reset. Suck mm-hmm. it up and reset for the low, low price of? Five levels. Is it five or ten? Five. Uh, I think yeah. it's five. I think by 
four, they drop it down to like two, which is really generous actually. But I think it's five until that point. So you mm. you don't have the option yet to completely to go back many many levels, but get to re, to change your class and gain a bunch of extra skill points, right? Yeah, I think that's the also from the beginning the, the ability to retire okay. a character, which is you know you take the character and basically say you know. You've done a good job. Take a vacation, and then and we're going to use your spots to repl- give you a completely new replacement character, <laughs> who starts with higher stats based off the level of the character you just replaced. But you can come in with any class and extra and skill points, an, and extra skill points, and you can occasionally get bonus items for sending the character off with retiring. Uh, I never used this, but I imagine if you're grinding for this in-game stuff, it can be really helpful. The uh, right? yeah, from what I understand. Uh, those extra few skill points can make a pretty big difference. And everything is clearly set up when you're choosing skills in the first game, right? It, it clearly shows you what you need as a prerequisite to open up this skill and that skill, right? Well, uh, it's actually it. The formatting for it's the information's all there, but the actual formatting is kind of bad in game. The first three games, yeah. Since you need okay. to read the skills. There's basically just in a giant. In no particular order, list. You need to read the descriptions and figure it out. It's a little confusing. That's why they give like they package in charts with the manuals and stuff to help make this a bit more sensical. But it takes till four before it actually in game lays it out in a clear way. But, okay. And some of these skill trees can be kind of complicated too. Uh, so resting and retiring are options that are only open to characters above level thirty. Resting a character frees up the character skill points, but drops them ten levels. They lose those oh, ten skill. Okay. They lose those ten skill points, but they're free to reassign all the rest of their points. Retiring allows you to create a new character with extra bonuses. A retired character receives bonus stats and skill points based on what level they're at. So if you're if you're level thirty or thirty nine, you'll gain two skill points and one stat point. Whereas if you're all the way up to level seventy when you retire, which is I think the max level, you'll gain six skill points and three stat points. Yeah, that's, I mean, I guess the thing about I guess they've decreased the price of rest by the time they reach three because you know ten levels is extreme. Well, uh, but and that you know, that's it, true. I was mean, so I was like ten levels. Holy cow! It took me how many hours to get those ten levels above <laughs> above? You have to be above thirty. This isn't like level one through ten. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um. However, you know, by that point, you know, you've got some great equipment, and equipment matters a lot. Yes. So you can take on enemies much higher level than you could otherwise to get more experience more quickly. So it's not going to be as bad as leveling up the first time. But, you know, it's and, still. And you would have high level party members to help you out as well. Mm hmm. Unless you do something foolish like, you know, rest your entire party all at once, which could get a little painful. But don't do that. Well, you you could do that, and then you could have fun staying on the earliest stratums for a while. <laughs> Since you would have all this nice new equipment that you found deeper in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's actually pretty amazing. The one time I... I guess I'll get to three when I talk about how, how interesting leveling up an old character, a new character can be. I'll get to that. There's a lot of stories about three. A lot. Um... Okay, so we'll try to wrap this up then with number one. But okay, so my 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 angst with the game does come in the form of that ten level step back because so I I try really hard to play games without FAQs uh, first and foremost. Especially the fact that I can do my own dungeon and do my own notes on the go is perfectly suited for somebody who doesn't want to, you know, who who, tend, who tries to stay away from looking at online maps and the such. Now I can make my all my own comments and figure this thing out on my own. But the the classes you're looking through the different skills, it'll say things like, you know, there's a skill called attack up, 
and it'll say your attack increases, but it doesn't really tell you what the percentage is. It just shows a little arrow going up. Some of them will say, like, fire damage up or this up or, you know, it unlocks this skill. And it'll have, like, one arrow, two arrows, or three arrows. Does that mean early or a lot or whatever? And I think what got my stomach t- kind of tying a knot, it's the D- we discussed this in the Diablo discussion, is I have no idea in the early levels what's going to be awesome in the later levels and that kind of alludes to what you were saying with the class that won't be spoken that some of those (laughs) skills which sound really awesome on paper weren't really working out that well towards the end game well well, really for balance issues well for yeah for really for that it was that class as a whole not even any specific skills like that class is entirely is not very useful in the late game Oh, there's stuff like, you know, the alchemists have a poison skill tree, which is really powerful early in the game, but really bad late in the game. So, yeah. yeah. There's stuff like that. So how did you guys, did you just, uh, did you get towards the later part of, the, well, you didn't play this one, Nathan. Mike, did you did, did you beat the game, Mike? Yes, I did. So when you got to the later part of the game, did you find yourself struggling with some of these characters, whether you picked the wrong class or you picked the wrong skills and end up using the reset option, or did you yeah, need a fac I, early on, or what? I didn't need a fac until, like, the last boss, so I kind of managed for the majority of the game, but, you know, getting to the last boss, and all of a sudden I'm just, you know, can barely get anywhere with the boss, so I had to re- completely respect my medic and I think at the same time I ditched my class that should not be named, or I may have done that earlier. I can't recall, but yeah, um, like late in the game I had to do that because you know it almost seemed like the last boss they expected you to have a medic with that skill, which that's the seems... awesome kick-ass skill that we talked about earlier. Yeah, which okay. should really not happen in a game where you don't even have to use that class. Yeah, so. it's, as I said, it's not, the first one's kind of at least well-balanced, Yeah, all I can gather. They do a Though lot to fix it as the series goes on. Though I wouldn't necessarily try to go through an Entry Odyssey dungeon without a medic. That just seems like the most painful way possible, but you, can, ha, you I could do it. I went through all Entry Odyssey 3 without a medic. Kind of, well, okay, that's a t- kind of a lie, but I took my medic out halfway through Entry Odyssey 3. Is, nice. it, is it you can use the... Isn't the Trebador also heal? Or is it one of the other classes that also heal? Well, in three, that's a bit more complicated, and I'll get to that. But what about know, one, Mike? Do you remember? Is uh, there another class that heals as well? Can't I remember the. No, tre- I think there's a. I don't remember the skill list from one. I want to uh, say the Trebador has like it, a. They have had like a regen a, skill. A regen skill, not like yeah. a really big healing skill. Yeah, I. I guess it would I think be they kind can of sing healing songs that heal you between fights. I think is what Trebadors can do. Like hmm. you can't heal as much in fight, but between fights you heal well. Yeah, but I. Yeah, you probably probably would have taken a medic, but yeah, you're, you're right. It's not like a guaranteed thing, and then there's probably no guarantee you went down that tree that leads to that awesome skill. Yeah. Fair. So, so did that? Did, did you feel frustrated at that point? Uh, a bit. I mean, obviously, I'd made it through like the whole game without that skill, so it was really annoying. That you know, it seemed it was really annoying to get finally make it all the way to the end of the game, and you know, seemingly forced to completely change a character just to finish the the damn thing. So Did, it was uh, annoying. That final. Uh, oh, go ahead. And and a lot of the later bosses were probably harder than they uh, should have been because I didn't have that skill. Like I remember having to, you know do some grinding and retry some tough bosses. So, 
Not that the game would have been super easier, but it probably would have been a bit easier had I had that skill. Now, is this like the ones I've played in that once you do beat the game, suddenly there's more that you can go through in the dungeon? Yeah, yeah that's the theme for the whole series. So basically, okay. after you beat the game, there's the, the final stra- the post-game stratum, the sixth stratum in one, I believe. Where, okay, I, I, know, I just wanted to be sure that this was with the series from the beginning. Yeah, it was, and usually this stratum can be pretty darn hardcore. I've heard le- the stories of the crabs from the post-game stratum one are pretty legendary. <laughs> <by> the- <laughs> They're pretty demanding. I, I did not make it very far in the post-game stratum in one. Not far at all. <laughs> So, uh, so, so, Michael, if someone was playing this uh, Atrianasi one, would would you would you would you recommend that they just kind of go with their gut with their party, or would you say, okay, go with your gut, but make sure you have a medic and stay away from this one class that won't be spoken because it really doesn't sound super you know, awesome, or would you say use a fac, or what, what what would you suggest to somebody approaching this game for the I don't, the first I don't, one? I think a fact can kind of ruin parts of this game unless you're just stuck and need some help. Oh, let me let me rephrase yeah. a a class fact. Okay, um, um, you know class facts can be helpful. I don't I don't think they're strictly necessary, but it requires you know this isn't a beginner level RPG. It requires sort yeah. of idea on how RPGs work and what's good in them and how to build characters. That, well, yes and no, Nathan. I that, mean, that's it's, a good idea, Nathan. Let, this let's... is. This is... Let's submit Etrian Odyssey to a whole bunch of people who have never played an RPG before and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's it, it, you know you guys I mean and, and uh, I'm kind of looking at Michael here because Michael is the one who has played through this first one and we are I'm specifically zeroing on not on the series yeah, because it's not enough. a series. But I'm I'm zeroing in on the balance issues with the classes yeah. and the skills and the fact that the skills I, I I I think my little frustration with it was that the class the skills weren't explained very well. You did run to that stuff later on. I'm not saying read a full blown fact. But if it is true that you might get frustrated, and there's not even, is there a clear indication, Mike, that you should respec a certain way? Or, it, you know, did you feel like through experience, you're like, oh, damn, I should have picked the medic with this skill, and I should have picked poison and not fire or whatever have you. So uh, no, now, you I've, should, now I've got the should, idea of how I should respec. You should, not, you should not pick poison. You should not pick poison, right. So, right. so did you feel like through experience now you had a solid idea of how you should respec, or did you feel like you had to go to a fact because there are a lot of options, but you weren't sure which one what the game was looking for? Um. I, I felt like I had to go to a fact because I felt like obviously I was missing something and it just seemed like okay, you really need this medic thing and it makes things a lot easier and so um, but I mean you can get through the vast majority of the game kind of just you know, experimenting okay. on your own so I wouldn't really recommend that people you know well, if you had if you had the if you had the medic with that one and you were aiming towards the one skill which we all now know is super awesome the rest you yeah. could probably Improvise. I mean, again, yeah. like Nathan said, with some common sense that you need like a well-rounded party, frontline people, yeah. backline people. Yeah, absolutely. And the rest yeah. would probably work out okay, you think? Yeah, my recommendation would be, you know, have the medic and then, you know, just go with what party you think is well-balanced and go from there. And um, Heck, maybe you can find like a used copy of the game because I think... If somebody has already unlocked those two extra classes, oh, sure that's you, true. Pretty, pretty sure you can start a new game and use those oh, right away. I never thought so. about that. How far into the game do you get those two extra classes? I think it's like the last stratum. Oh crap! 
because I, I think you get them after you beat the NPC characters that are those classes. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Um, all right. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take a break. We're gonna get your final thoughts on these four games, guys. Uh, towards the end, for those of you who want to to give an opinion on each game or whatnot. So we'll say, should oh, buy it? Don't one, buy it. One, we'll do one last that. thing. Of, one last thing about this game. Mm-hmm. Spoilers: the final stratum is in Tokyo. Dun dun dun. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Is, so, is it a thousand years after a horrible event? Uh, I think it's probably well over a thousand years after who knows what. Okay. This again. Yeah, again, this my is... int- I know this from Untold, which steal cribs a lot from the first, but is its own beast entirely. Yeah, I think this the the feeling I got playing the original was it seemed like you know it was a lot longer than that, but I, I don't know if they ever gave any specifics. I can't recall. Hmm. All right. Well, we're gonna but take. Yeah, the- yeah. That it that was a cool moment. Uh, assuming you didn't have it spoiled to you beforehand, which I did, but it was still kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, still- I've had all this. Yeah, it's just kind of a cool moment in the fantasy well, game to suddenly be in freaking Tokyo. So. Yeah. Well, you can always do what works for me, at least, which is listen to this, then take a long break, and your memory will probably. <laughs> for- go over certain things and then when you get to this game it'll be new to you <laughs> and then you'll probably go oh yeah they did tell me that but I forgot <laughs> um, okay we're going to take a yeah. tiny little break so you can forget about it and <laughs> we'll be right back after this musical selection Welcome back. We're ready to talk about Etrian Odyssey 2, Heroes of Doohickey. Uh, Lagard, something like that. Who cares? All right, this is developed by Atlas. Published- Doohickey and Lagard are very different sounding words, Phil. Okay, no, no. They're they're awesomely close, okay? Uh, Etrian Odyssey, Heroes of Lard, is developed by Atlas, uh, published by the same. This was released in North America on June 13th, 2008. Uh, Single-player role-playing dungeon-crawling experience for your Nintendo DS. As always, we start off with the story. This one has another deep plot to it. And uh, and within the Grand Duchy of High Lard or Lagarde or whatever the hell you want to call it, a crisis has suddenly caused renewed interest in a floating castle. Because, you know, this floating castle was it wasn't interesting before, but now there's a renewed interest. This floating castle is in the clouds way over your head. According to the available research... It can be reached by transversing a force of maids, known as the Yggdrasil Labyrinth. 
composed of many levels. In an effort to obtain the mythical Grail of Kings said to be kept in the floating palace, the Duke of High Lard, or Lagarde, or whatever, is now recruiting adventurers <laughs> like yourself in order to explore the labyrinth through Hickey Maze and discover exactly how to reach the castle. So you, the player, takes the role of the leader of a guild of adventurers to do just that. Now, I played this game and I beat it in three minutes because after I was given this charge, I went on Expedia.com, I booked a Delta Air flight to the floating castle, I got there, got the grail, came back, done. But I'm sure some of you took the the, the scenic. Route. Are you counting the tr- the transit time here, Phil? No, no, no. That was just how okay. long I'm going to book the tickets. So uh, Expedia.com. I'm expecting a commission check for this plug, by the way. Kaching. So. Where is the floating castle, Phil? On this planet, where is it? It's up in the air, up there. Look out your window, Mike. It's what up is there. underneath it? Air. Wow, that that covers every bird that's flying also. But what landmass is underneath it? Or if it's floating over water, what water body it, is underneath it's, it? It's in between the land of imagination and your heart. Oh, okay, I see. So so it's a South Park location. So, did I miss anything from the deep store? Who played who played number 2? I played it for about an hour. Okay, good enough. Uh, did I did I miss anything from the deep story there? Uh, no. No, okay. All right. Awesome. Not, well, assuming, well, I don't know, assuming there's I assume there's more later on cuz I've heard this uh has a, more story towards the end than the original did, but um, yeah, like I said before, I did not really play this one because I finished the first one when three was out, which was much more interesting. Okay, all right, for, fair for enough. For all we know, Atlas submitted the meaning of life into this plot, and the few people who have played it are going to chime in and tell us <laughs> they are the enlightened ones now. <laughs> hmm. Well, all right. Well. So well, I have it. What, what has changed uh, from the first one? Well, let's take well, look. Go ahead. Balance. 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 Yeah. Balance. Yeah. Balance. New classes, and I think that's most of it. Yeah. Okay, so let's I, yeah. talk about the classes that are different. Well, for one, you know, pretty much all the classes from the last game are back. That's, yep. Are they? Are they substantially has, changed? I think they're. You know, they at least. I think they all at least have a couple new abilities and remixed some of their abilities. I think they're more changed than you might expect. They're still very much the same themes as in the previous game. But they removed crazy broken stuff like the Mimic Simian Ice. That's one thing they did. That's- yeah. Hmm. Well, I understand there's three new classes in here as well. There are. We have the Gunner, the War Magus, and the Beast. The Gunner is interesting because you know, I think it's got a random mix of abilities, including a surprising amount of healing abilities, like a heal bullet, which just shoots someone and they're healed. That completely <laughs> makes sense. Hey, in fact, I heard they they were going to start... Uh, I, in fact, I heard one of the doctors here uh, in the United States was going to start using it, uh, a gun that heals people. I believe his name is Dr. Kevorkian. He said it releases <laughs> you from your pain. Just totally, totally releases you from all pain and suffering with one shot. It's a little-known fact in the medical profession that if you shoot so hard that you can shove the bad organ out and replace it with the good one, 
that saves on all the surgery expenses because it, you will have also shot it through so fast that the body will be immediately healed. <laughs> and yes, uh, in Untold, there is a character who does this, and it's her bullets of love. I guess they're they're just so full of human kindness that the fact that they're being discharged at high velocity from a muzzle is irrelevant to the fact that they were meant to do good things. Hmm. Okay. Uh, what about the beast? What's this beast? Uh, it's kind of a more eccentric class, from what I can tell. It's got some useful gathering abilities. It can eat enemies, more or less. And it's, I think it even has some abilities to like, drool on people and heal them. It's, it's kind of... <laughs> It's a weird, tough class that uh, it's hard to define easily, I think. And hey, the character portraits are not like little anime kids. No, they, they look pretty vicious. Beasts. You got a saber yes. tooth tiger, a brown bear, a gray wolf, and a giant panda. Oh my. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And then we have the War Magus. Yeah, I think it's definitely the more hard to easily define one. It's another class with a few healing abilities, so there's a lot of alternatives to the medic in this one. But yeah. I don't otherwise know really what it can do. I think it also has like attack spells. Yeah, it's got some. I think. Yeah, so it's kind I think of like it, your... melee attacks decently well. Yeah, right. so it's kind of like an all-around type class. Yeah, all-around class you can build a number of different ways to fill out different yeah. roles, I suppose. And it looks nothing like. That guy from Chrono Trigger, right? Nope. It does not. Just had to get that out there since, you know, the name M-A-G-U-S is kind of shared there. One of the character portraits does kind of sort of look like a red mage from Final Fantasy, though. Which is kind of the same thing. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so the new classes. Yes. Interesting. So, uh, so uh, you mentioned balancing, Mike. Do you know how this game was balanced? Uh, I don't know any specific details other than like hearing other people talk about the game. Uh, basically, um, you're less likely to find that hey, your party really stinks, and you need to, you know, uh, rest lots of them and redo everything. And I assume you don't have to, you know, realize you need a medic at the last minute and get that re- rest so you can get that one ability. I do not think that's an issue here. Hmm. Yeah, overall, I think there's, from what I can gather, it's overall a lot more balanced and a bit more, it gives you more creative freedom. It's still basically a lot like a Trinity one, but a fair bit better in most regards, I think. Yeah. But I, can, yeah. I haven't played, so that's not first hand information. <laughs> My apologies. Yeah. Oh, it seems uh, I get the feeling that it's not like as liked as the original. I'm I'm guessing just because it was so close to the original. Yeah, you know, it's I, released it, just afterwards, so yeah. it's only more off but wasn't you know it's not quite three which we're getting to. Yeah. You know, three a lot of people talk about because it kinda refreshed everything and added new features. But you know, I think that it's probably the case that if you went back to it you'd find that hey, this is probably actually a lot better than one. Because, you know, as we discussed, one was definitely a little rough around the edges. Um, so I wonder if they weren't ex- expecting the original to do all that well, and then... It was know, something of an experiment, it's unusual for Atlas, I suppose. Yeah. 
Well, at the time, I don't remember many uh, deliberately retro-styled RPGs coming out. Now, now, of course, we're full of them, but <laughs> yeah, in yeah, 2007, that's definitely a h- hardcore focused. Is just kind of pure dedicated RPG dungeon crawler games on portables. We're not exactly a big market that we're well known. I mean, that's changed a lot. No small yeah. part of the itself, but at the well, time, think- it's a bold move. I think what's so great about the Etrian Odyssey series is obviously it's got that retro appeal, but you know all the features and the class designs are a lot more modern and forward-thinking. Like if you, you know, obviously I have played a lot of some of the other uh, like more wizardry type dungeon crawl retro dungeon crawlers that have come out of Japan, which are definitely uh, not as balanced and nicely put together. So yeah, uh, Etrian Odyssey is great. Does a great job of trying to, you know, not just go back and be retro and looking back at the old styles of playing, but also trying to make them better and make yes. it work better and more interesting and advance over the overall game design. It, it yes, does that exactly. so well. Gets... I would like to focus on your words there, Nathan, because that is a deliberate contrast to that game <laughs> Phil and I remember, which was all about not incorporating any advances made in the last 25 <laughs> years or so and deliberately throwing you back into a mid 80s dungeon crawl. Oh, it was worse than an old 80s dungeon crawl. Mike, don't get me started. We'll be here all night. All right, all right, all right. All right, let's change the subject quickly before my blood pressure gets too high. What about fork skills? Do you, have you heard about these things? I've heard they're incredibly broken in this game. They replace the old boost bar. Each class has its own unique ultimate skill that can be used when the bar is full. Yeah, these are... From what I can gather, these are basically super nukes that can, if you launch all of the party's four skills all at once, can destroy an FOE in one turn. Oh, God. <laughs> Here's some examples. The Protector nullifies all damage for one turn. The Rodent hmm. slashes all enemies with a chance of instant death. Uh, hmm. The Trabador boosts uh, party's attack, defense, and hit points all at the same time. Uh, the War Magus restores party hit points and increases elemental resistance. The Alchemist does massive almighty damage to all foes, etc., etc. So, uh, yeah, or the Dark, uh, the, that class, which should not be... Sp- oh, my God. <laughs> the special oh, super oh skill. No. It's oh, called, no. It's oh, called, no. It's called Dominate! <laughs> Binds an enemy entirely, and then you dominate them. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I tell you what, the fun does not end with the Dark Hunter. I just, I swear, it doesn't matter which one of these games. I just, I'm going to put a Dark Hunter my party just because they're so much fun. I don't care if they're actually decent or not. That's just, that's just too hilarious. All right, so, so you got the, you got the super dark attacks. Let me, um, uh, let me just read this uh, quote from a review website that shall not be spoken. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I think it applies definitely. Uh, you know, Nathan kind of touched on this. Uh, we joked about it, but uh, just to reemphasize, players that know their team and really think ahead when creating the best group possible will be able to master classes, distribute their points well, and make the most out of each level. For those that rush through it, and players who don't know RPGs too well, like newbies, uh, Heroes of Lard could potentially be more difficult than the original. If you can't grasp the idea of leaving a tougher boss behind for later, running for your life when evil foes are stalking through the halls, or using a much-needed warp wire to get the hell out of a bad situation before it gets worse, Etrianasi will kick the crap out of you. <laughs> the game does not pull punches. 
So don't it, it, it definitely a lot of, a lot of the comments I'm reading uh, definitely backs up that it definitely is better balanced. You're less likely to run into the class issue, but it's still a very very tough experience. That yeah, uh, they don't hold back in this series. Yeah, they, they just until don't. later on when you can pick easy. Until later. Okay, on when you until can pick then, easy. but I don't want to see easy, which is not yet. Easy mode. Evil, evil easy mode. Uh, so generally, generally speaking, it looks like the second one was was definitely better received, though. So, just unfortunately, kind of eclipsed by something else. And we'll talk about that when we come back after these commercial messages. Welcome back. We're ready to chit-chat about Etrian Odyssey 3, The Drowned City. This is developed and published by Atlas, released in North America on September 21st, 2010. This is a single-hand multiplayer dungeon-crawling RPG experience for your Nintendo DS. And this one also has... The stories are getting deeper because now this one's up to five lines of plot. The first game, I had to make it up. The second one had three lines on Wikipedia. This one's up to like five or six lines here, guys. Do you want to talk about this story? Yeah, this one actually has a branching plot line with different three, three different major endings. Nathan has volunteer. Go for it, boy. Talk about the story. Okay, the story is basically you're an adventurer newly come to the, to the Kingdom of Armorode, which is basically a port island, which is... Basically, some years prior, suffered a terrible incident called the Calamity. I believe, like, I can't remember exactly when this was, like, 100 years ago? Well, basically, the most of the city sank under the water, including the great tree Yggdrasil, which is the pride of the city, and 
basically the giant earthquakes messed up everything. All the uh, sea routes around were messed up. And ever since then, they've been inviting adventurers in, hoping to find their way to an undersea ruin, the ruins that go beneath the ocean nearby, and to basically find their way back to the city, the lost original city of Armorod. And so you are sent out on the adventure and go down. And there's a lot of interesting things that happen, some mysterious characters, some more incidental ones, and eventually you sit into the story where basically there are two cities, the city above water of New Armor Road and the city below water of Old Armor Road, where this people who, well, have, people who sank beneath the sea 100 years ago are still there, still alive as they were 100 years prior, and living in a kind of creepy, quiet machine city beneath the water, fighting an eternal war against the deep ones, these creepy mermaid-like people who kind of come up from the depths of the water to attack them. And they've been embraced in war against these people for a hundred years. And your job is to basically fight in this war and meet these people and see what's going on. And it's, overall, I kind of really like the story. It's kind of not... Well, it's not... Mo- it's not the most elaborate of stories. Again, you've got no characters of your main party, but you know, I find it really interesting and, and thoughtful. Since, you know, after the second stratum, you start having to pick which side to support on, and, well, unless you find the tr- secret true ending, which I did not, at one point you basically have to pick your allegiance, side with one side or the other, and, well, the final boss I fought at the end was the leader of Old Armor Road, the, uh, the Abyssal King, who's the leader of its machine city. I had to fight him, and if you pick a different route, you have to fight the queen, who, the, the princess who rules the city of, uh, of Armorod. So, it's I found it really interesting. Yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely interesting and um, different from the the first two games, which fits you know obviously a lot else about this game, which kind of refreshed the series. So, uh, yeah, stories. I've got no complaints about the story whatsoever. Yeah, it's like it doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but it's still something you know. Hey, I wanted to play it for the story. Yeah, it's just you know it it's it fits the series, which uh, I think this series has done very good with this story. It's not going too far or not having too little. Hmm. It's like Goldilocks. It's just right. Yeah, hmm. it's like you know, it's not getting in the way, but it's still there. Still, things are happening. Kind of interesting. I'm probably overusing that word, but I, yeah, it's it's more I, it's what it is is it's more motivation to keep going through the dungeon than just you know I want to get to the next level, level up my characters. Yeah, in like, this case, you know, get subclasses. You know, I mean, each stratum in this game is basically a whole chapter of a story. Which every time you beat clear stratum, something major happens. The story, and you meet new characters, or you know, the situation changes dramatically, and. You know, it keeps pushing things forward. And that sounds like what would happen in 4 and Untold, where every time that you make a significant accomplishment in the dungeon, then it will be accompanied by something important happening plot-wise. Mm. Yeah. Which, again, are the only two that I have really that I've completed, so I can, t- I can talk about those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at... So... so good story let's let's move forward to the classes i'm looking at this list and i and can't it's the best class list I ever can't help tell i, I there's let, let me just say just, as someone who's not played this game i played the first uh the first one but looking at this list there's two things that jump out at me uh number one there's i don't think there's a single class that 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 is the carryover from the first two games and number two they really look interesting 
Prince, Gladiator, Hopolite, Buccaneer, Ninja, Monk, Zodiac, uh, what is this, Wildling, uh, Arbalist, Farmer, Farmer, Shogun, Farmer. and Igdroid. I mean, these sound incredibly interesting. I've been playing role-playing games for years. I mean, the only thing that even is slightly cliche in there is maybe a Ninja and a Monk and maybe a Prince if you play some Dragon Warrior games. But a lot of these sound pretty uh, – I mean, some of these are just downright original and yeah, I don't see any the of the farmer's abilities. What's again? a farmer? Yeah, what's a farmer? The farmer farms. Yeah, I mean, it literally <laughs> helps you grind. See, farm monsters. No, well, it farms all the harvest points, like you know, chopping points okay. to chop lumber or yeah. gather fruits and such. So, so instead of having to leave him in town so that he can grow things that will help you, he can come along to help fight. So he can yeah, die quickly. And, you know, the unique class ability of farmers is, you know, they boost you know, how much experience you gain. So uh, put a farmer in, max that skill out, and everyone's leveling up faster. Hmm. So that's, they're the grinding class. I, I yeah. kind of, so, but, but he generally is weaker in combat, I take it? They suck in combat. <laughs> they are worthless in combat. But they, you know, There's a reason farmers throughout history have been dominated by whatever soldiers come through the area. <laughs> the best, literally, the best ability farmers have is the ability to play dead. Now, okay... <laughs> That's funny. Uh, now, normally, I'm the kind of guy that likes taking a weaker class if it has, like, the payoff later on. Like, I did the Red Mage in Final Fantasy V so I could get dual class. So for, like, half the game, I'm playing this class that really isn't super great. But uh, it sounds like Farmer's pretty bad. But in a game that's normally as tough as Etri Nasi, can you even afford to have a weak member like that? Well, you know, use it for a secondary farming team. That's... Mm, the secondary farm. Okay, fair enough. All right, so... I mean, this is one of those instances where the ability to have, you know, a ton of uh, uh, extra party members in your guild pays off because you can, you know, bring that guy along for it to help grind up your party, but, you know, not actually using use him when you're going to tough tougher battles or exploring a new area or anything like that. So, um, yeah, the, the variety of classes here, I think, uh, makes the whole guild mechanic more useful. All right. Yeah. So let's move on to the uh, to another class that looks a little weak to me. The prince. Princes are normally snobbish, whiny, stuck up. Uh, what about this game? Are, well, okay, or, or if the they're like the one in prince. England, then uh, they get really, really old without still without becoming king yet. <laughs> okay. Well, this one is technically actually it's the princess class. Prince is kind of the alternate version. If you, if it defaults to female, but. Uh, the thing about the princess class is that it's actually really amazing. Basically, it's the centerpiece of my entire team when I played through the game. It's some purpose. <laughs> its main ability is to give orders, which can do things like boost your attack power, defense power. And they also have some special a passive skill that they can raise, which means that every time they do so, they heal someone. They also have a cool skill, which is like, you know, as long as they're full health, every turn they'll heal, every, everyone else will be healed. Or if they survive a battle, everyone is healed. If they walk around, everyone is healed. It's a yeah. great healing class. It's it's a it's really like, really good class, and it's also got uh, its various orders are really useful. Like the like prevent order, if you lay down prevent order, then it'll nullify one status ailment. So if someone tries to poison a character, the poison will not take effect, and various other things. That are just yeah. they're a great useful class, and their attack power kind of sucks. They basically have no real attack skills, but that's the second most defensive class in the game. They got they use heavy armor and heavy shields, and have a decent number of hit points. So, I don't know. Free healing, plans. blocking status ailments, those are good, good things, I'd say. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, yeah, it's kind of it's like uh, the, troub- the troubadour, but um, 
even more useful. Yeah. It's and with a lot Remix of entirely the jokes. Yeah, they're, they're not just a person in the back singing. They're basically the leader of your party standing in the front line fighting with, alongside everyone else. And it's, they're really bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is uh, when I when I saw this class before this game came out. I was like, "Yep, this is my party." Because I thought it'd be similar to the the princess class from Seventh Dragon, and it was, and it's awesome. Yeah, the thing about this is, you know, I, for me, by the end of the game, a princess or prince have basically my main healer. Just I didn't need yeah. the main healing class because I this class was working for. Yeah, give give a buff and give a bunch of healing at the same time. That is fantastic. And also those cool tricks, like you know, there. Are a ver- this game has its own version of the burst abilities from the last one, which is far more balanced, but and far more customizable. But one of the things is like you can lay down a force ability, which is you know gives a buff to in which you give a buff to all characters, and if you have a prince, use it. It, it, his ability to heal upon giving buffs will apply to that ability and such. Yeah, that's uh, you know you can you make, even abilities that aren't native to the prince can you can some special abilities can make them better. All so right, the pr- uh, go ahead. Not going to win yeah. the battle by herself, but the princess will help everybody else an immense amount. Yeah. Exactly, and this is kind of the class that you know someone less experienced might look over, uh, which really shouldn't. Because it's, you know, it's it's really fantastic. Fun. Yeah, it's it's fun and it's extremely useful. Okay, well, there's one class on here that looks a little generic, and that's the gladiator. Is it really as generic as it kind of sounds? It uses swords and it uses maces and it just beats the living daylights out of things. Okay, that's well, that sounds like you know, it's actually more complex than it sounds. But since maces and swords are two very different skill trees that have different entirely different fighting styles, so. But, you know, it's straightforward, but in Edge Odyssey 3 kind of way, which is focused on lots of skill combos and dependency on other classes and uh, building a good team. So, yeah. Okay, so so not as as straightforward as the fighter from the the past two games, for sure. What about the Hoplite? The Hoplite's the big super tank. Or or how I like to pronounce it, the Hop-Around. (laughs) <laughs> no, well, actually, they they can hop around a lot because they've got to move to some change which line they are in battle, uh, so they can dash forward and stab an enemy, or step back and stabbing an enemy. It's kind of neat. You get these long spears that can fight on either line. They're heavy armor, and there's most of their skills are built around defending the party, raising their own defense, and so forth. I had a hoplite in my team. The hoplite had one job: serve use their bodyguard skill to protect one other person, my prince. <laughs> Every single boss battle, the entire length of the game, she did one thing: bodyguard the prince. This was amazingly useful. <laughs> you have no idea how useful this is. Don't underestimate the power for all defense in this series. Yeah. Hmm. What about the buccaneer? Yar. The buccaneer is kind of awesome. It's these are swords and guns. It's got a variety of abilities based off of those two weapons. It can debuff enemy stats somewhat, but its big thing are its chase moves. Basically, you can set something called Chase Pierce, and for example, and every time an ally uses a piercing attack, the Buccaneer will turn around and stab that enemy. Or like Chase Fire, every time an ally uses a fire move, they'll turn around and shoot that enemy, and so on. So basically... They're used to build these elaborate combos in which you attack a bunch of times, then chase a bunch of times, and do a lot of damage. 
Warlords. Yeah, in, in case you can't tell, the theme of this game is definitely uh, classes that can uh, play off each other a lot more than the previous games. Yeah, basically, characters really need to depend on other parties. Like as I said, you know, I needed that bodyguard ability because I relied so much on the passive healing. Ninja. Ninja go. Ninja. No comments about ninja? Ninja. You want Phil um, to talk about ninja, ninja vanish quickly and without trace. I don't know. Ninjas are kind of crazy in that their main shtick is splitting into two. Which suddenly, instead of one ninja, you have two ninjas. And either that's a decoy or it's an actual other person who can attack and they've got these crazy combos and lots of evasion and they're actually pretty tanky because they can you know, draw attention to themselves and nullify hits and so forth. They're pretty wild, but I haven't used the one in depth, so I'm not as familiar with that. Yeah, me but, neither. Yeah, it kind of was, you know, the ninja seemed like, oh, uh, eh. I wanted to kind of toy around with some of the more interesting classes. But I'm sure I guess it's... that says something, that the ninja is not one of the more interesting classes in this game. Well, it's well like it, could fairly... it could be. It could be. It's yeah. got crazy counterattacks. You can counterattack and you blow against your row and counterattack with a poison move. Or, you know, it's going to move when you split out of your shadow doppelganger and then you, you team up with your shadow doppelganger to do a giant, ridiculously over-animated attack against the enemy that does a ton of damage, which dispels your doppelganger. So forth. It, it's interesting. Monk. Monk is the game's main healer. Yeah, it, but more like a fighting healer. Yeah, it's like... It's, Obviously. You know, it's, it's got the stereotypical monk barehanded fighting thing where you punch things a lot, but it also, you know, has some great healing moves, like heal, line heal, full heal, revive. It, yeah. It's really useful to have one of these around unless you want to stock a lot of items to revive people, but, you know, honestly, monk is the classic, you know, I loved it in the beginning of the game, but... No matter what I did, it feels like they stopped having good attack power by the late game. Like the one stumbling block in this game's class balance is that monks don't have enough damage in the late game with their punching moves, and they have a lot of cool punching moves. But they, it, I don't know. I just can't figure out any way to make it work right. Yeah, yeah, De- definitely not. Definitely not the medic of the first game in the series. Oh, that sounds disappointing. We no. need to move on to something more interesting. Zodiac. Well, okay, but the monks have monks have darkness fist, which is kind of cool. Yeah, they their fists out. There's some cool kind of extra abilities to their fist attacks instead of just doing damage. They can paralyze. Yeah. They have counterattack stances. They have darkness fists, which just hits every enemy and curses them. Which is yeah, hard but I mean, really cool. they're definitely useful if you're not using like the, a princess or something like that that has more healing. So mm-hmm. yeah, basically, you really should have one or the other in your party since they're so useful to have a good healer. Yeah, so, you know, I, a lot of classes have healing abilities in this game, like. Gladiators have self-healing abilities. Hoplites have self-healing abilities, and so forth. There's some yeah. interesting stuff in there for healing well, options. And, and there's uh, subclasses where you can get healing abilities, but we'll get to yeah, that. Yeah, we'll cover subclasses in a second. Yeah. Uh, so what was the next one? Zodiac. Zodiac's your straightforward elemental attack mages. They look cool, and they've got, basically got a bunch of moves of the fire, ice, and lightning, and... Basically, yeah, they exist to blast things with magical elements that hit its weakness and do a ton of damage. But they also have some cool neat tricks like the prophecy abilities, which, you know, they say, I predict you'll use a fire attack this move, and if the enemy uses a fire attack move, you stop that attack right then and there and deal damage to that enemy instead. So they have some neat defensive tricks. Intriguing. It's still one of the more straightforward ones, so I I don't don't know why it's called Zodiac. 
Because they, they refresh. Have astrological signs. That sounds yeah. so much well, more awesome than wizard. Well, the basic attack spell is Firestar, and this, er, and basically there's a kind of cosmological theme to the naming of their spells. So, hmm. wildly so most of that. Summons beasts. This is my favorite class. Yeah, wild things are. I didn't use them very much, but what I have used of them, they are pretty fun. Yeah. Okay. Just... Do not put a wild lead and ninja in the same team since they both. Basically, you've got five yeah. members and kind of six virtual slots, which can only be occupied by one thing. It's a shadow clone or a beast. Yeah, and so... you can't do both at the same time. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's kind of cool because there's, there's a bunch of different beasts you can get. Like, um, you know, they think there's like a... They can uh, summon up Gosshawks. There's like an inside bind. Yeah, I think there's like a snake that can that will bind a snake enemies. That binds arms and a mole that binds their legs and a goshawk which binds their heads. Or you can summon and a giant angry cow to confuse enemies. You can summon or like a, a some sort of in, there's like an insect that poisons them, which uh, poison does a lot of damage in this game. So that that's yeah. really useful. Or an owl to put enemies to sleep. Or uh, or the one I use most heavily, a big lion, which the first thing it does is fall asleep. But if anything ever wakes it up, it does a ton of damage to all enemies. Yeah, which can be a bit of a hard thing to use unless you're using the cool uh, certain technique which makes everything future status conditions at the start of every fight. At which point it just wakes up at the start of every fight and just does tons of damage. Because every time it attacks, it goes back to sleep again, which is kind of annoying. So but... when you summon it, does it just take up a sixth party slot, or where, how does it fit in? How do enemies target it? Uh, these fit in as a sixth party slot. So just wherever okay. you have a space free, they'll just hop in there. Kind of like the Ninja Shadows work the same way. Yeah, so I think one thing I did was I think there's like a big like damage soaking one. So I I have my uh, Wildling in the back row along with uh, two other people, so that you know the the beast goes up in the front row and can take a lot of hits. So you know useful that way. The only the only issue with this class is uh like all their abilities really suck up a lot of uh what the heck do they call MP in this? Do they call it technique points or I think I mean, it's something like that. But you know what I mean? It uses up a lot of that. So Yeah. Um, of course you know you, it costs a lot to summon it out, but also, you know, if you say, Oh hey, go take a break, they'll leave yeah. the monster will leave and you'll get some of those points back, which is kinda nice. Yeah. You need to really manage it carefully with that class. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. You have to be very careful with how you manage that, you know, especially if you're heading towards a boss or something like that. Uh, but it, it's uh, definitely a really cool class, and it's definitely my favorite in the game. One I went to right away. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> and great subclass material when we get to that. Yeah, uh, the only problem with it was I... It, there's so many cool abilities that I probably spread, spread myself a bit too thin trying yeah, to get like really a, every fo- possible summon. Yeah, you need to focus a bit on your summons and raising their power and such, otherwise you could run into problems. Yeah. Definitely the poison one. Most important. Hmm. Poison. Always good. Yes. Oh. Yeah, and like, well, like I said, poison in this game, it, it's not like, you know... You might think of in some it's, RPGs it's, where you lose a few HP a turn. It's like no. devastating. Yeah, I mean, there are enemies will poison you, and unless you get that poison off that turn, that party member will die. Just, yeah. No matter who that party member is, the poison will do enough damage to kill you just in one turn at the end of the turn which you are poisoned. So be careful around enemies of poison. Yeah. It's not just a slight inconvenience, huh? 
Uh, no. <laughs> no. At the same time, though, you're poisoning to do a ton of damage, too, so take advantage of it when you can. Arbalist. This is <laughs> a very straightforward class in which just, it takes a giant bow gun and shoots enemies. Yeah. It, it's there to do damage, and, you know, it's actually kind of a hard class to make work since its abilities are so expensive, but, you know, it's got some cool little abilities, too. Yeah. It's, what's interesting about it, too, is it's kind of like a front row attacker from the back row. Like, it's definitely a massive damage dealer. can take some big hits, but it's not one from the front row, so it it's uh, kind of weird that way. You know, the thing about that, though, is actually, you know, you can, you can also toss it on the front row, and you have a ability that's called Front Mortar, which is much stronger on the front row. So it's normally in the back row, oh, that's right, you build a front row fight. Yeah, I forgot about kinda, that ability. It's also kind of... That's actually the best ability I used for it in my game, because it turns up eventually... An Arbalist front mortar was my best attacker. <laughs> it was terrible for most of the game, but the end game when I finally got that combo going, it was amazing. But also, it's alternate builds for it allowed tricks like you know, every time something is hit by a status ailment, you can shoot it and do a ton of damage. So this is kind of a more support attacker for a team built around status ailments or binds. Yeah, it's really interesting. You can really mm. just build all these classes in so many different ways. That's what I like about them so much. <laughs> But do you Are, like Shogun? Oh. Shogun is amazing. But it's, you know, it's one of the two hidden classes in the game. You can only get this one if you side with the people of Upper Armor Road later on in the story. And it's basically a dual-wielding samurai who's got terrible defense but amazing offense and all kinds of kind of powerful <laughs> abilities to build a serving of a class you have to unlock later in the game. It's also just, you know, it's a front-row fighter that can't take any hits, but, you know, with the right combos, it can do some really crazy stuff. And it's also got some of the craziest abilities in the game, which it's got abilities which help the party whenever it dies. It's so fragile, but it turns out to a strength by just, you know, hey, I've died, everyone else gets healed. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hmm. egg droid. It, it's, the, it's the new form of a will. <laughs> The most immediately beneficial will in existence. <laughs> and Igdroid's the last one. This is the class I have not seen, since this is the one that's unlocked on the route I did not go through, which is yeah, siding with people of Lower Arm Road. But, you know, it's a robot. It's your robot companion who wears heavy armor and uses swords for some reason. But it, I don't know what it does, but I imagine it's tough, because it's a late game, an emotional class. Well, let me ask you this. When are robots not cool? <laughs> mm, robots are always cool. I'm sure someone will come up with a time that a robot wasn't cool, but it's going to take a lot of work. So let me, right. let's just leave that question for the audience because we don't need to answer it. It's that hard to answer. So, uh, so that's all the classes, um, and and that's probably the bigger difference. But are there other major gameplay differences? Yes, sure there are a few. Mostly two and three. Subclass system. Subclasses. What is this sub submarine sandwich you speak of? Well, later in the game, eventually you gain the ability to basically give everyone a second class. Almost really that simple. Basically, you go to a person, you say, "Give me a subclass." You pick the class, and you gain five extra skill points and the ability to assign them however you want in that class. And basically, your subclass, you don't get its base. The, the stats of the character are always based off their main class, 
but they can have access to all of the skills of subclass, with the one exception of okay, you, one unique skill every class has. It's usually their best skill that's locked off, but otherwise you have access to everything of that class. Hmm. And it's leads to a lot of powerful potential combos since you can Yeah. <laughs> well that almost sounds kind of fun. It it is. And I mean we talked about really? how well these That these sounds classes. like Final Fantasy V Dragon Warrior three kind of fun. It's to some you know Yeah. It to some yeah, extent. It's much the, some extent it's a lot like that. Now is there a you know, is, is there a sacrifice for subclassing? I mean, do you split XP no. or do you lose well, skill you points? You don't. The one cost is that you know every point you spend on a subclass is one point you didn't spend on your main class. Right. It's the same skill point pool. Ooh, and is so that totally to make, gimp you? No, I mean it just depends on your build. Right. I mean, you know, a good subclass can make your abilities a lot better. I mean, a lot better. Uh, yeah, for example, you know. The ability I I told you know I told you how I said I had a hoplite guarding my prince the entire time I played the game. Well, I changed when I got the subclasses and got the shogun. That changed because, you know, it's a waste guarding my second highest defense character every battle. So instead, I'll put all the passive healing abilities uh, that I used to get my prince onto my shogun, who's weak and fragile. So I spent every turn bodyguarding the shogun instead. So the shogun instead now is suddenly being healing everyone else every turn while not taking damage, so their terrible defense isn't a problem anymore. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff you can do. Hmm. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of potential combinations. Or like, um, you know, uh, you go ahead, I'll get, explain one after. <laughs> well, I mean, you just look at, you know, we talked about how well the, the classes integrate together, and you know, work off each other. Uh, so just you know, think about adding more than basically adding more than five classes to the mix, and there's a yeah. lot, lot of extra potentials you can do. Yeah, like I mean, you know, uh, for example, you know, I said you know, body uh, hoplite serving as a bodyguard every turn. Well, that's not such a problem if you know. Uh, It's not so much a problem to you know have them be guarding every turn if you know they at the first turn they summon down a giant pet that's attacking enemies to help them out yeah. so they're not losing any damage. That well, in the or, same regard, if you look at the wild the, the wildling, you know you summon a monster and then if that's it's something that's going to stay out for a while, they kind of generally don't have a lot to do. So why not give, give them, them some magic? give them some damaging magic? Well, you know, you have a class that's kind of fragile, so you give them the ability of monks that heals them every time they do some special ability. So yeah. you know, every time they attack, they're healing them. So. Or, you know, the arbalists' attacks are kind of expensive for their cost. So you use some gladiators' abilities to make that more efficient and cheaper. There's a, so many ways to make it work. It's yeah. really amazing. <laughs> so obviously you have to be careful that you don't, you know, maybe go too far in the subclass with the two subclass abilities and neglect yeah. some of the main class abilities. It's totally possible to put all of your points in the subclass and forget your main class abilities, which might be problematic. And, you know, not every class has the stats for every subclass. Like, finding a good class to be a, have Zodiac as a subclass is kind of hard. Since, yeah. you know, those are based off your text skill, and not many classes have a good text skill. Okay. Hmm. On the other hand, one other neat feature of the subclass system is that, you know, by spending some points in subclasses' skills, you can learn the ability to use the weapons of this class. You can change the weapons your classes are using. It's a nice 
future. Okay. So, uh, what other gameplay differences are there? Um, it's some, there's the uh, whole ship, I guess we'll call it a minigame. Yeah, there's basically, you know, you're sailing. Right? Yep. Well, there's... Sailing any different mechanically than just walking through a dungeon? It's a little bit, yeah. Everywhere. Yeah, okay, maybe... Yes, a lot. <laughs> you've, you've got you've got mapping still. You've you've still got the kind of turn based movement and positioning. But now you know you only have limited supplies, so you can only move a certain number of steps before you run out of supplies and head back. So every little step counts. There's no random battles, but it's a much more pure exploration side game. That's like, it's completely disconnected from the progress of the main game in terms of how you progress through it. Ah, uh, I don't know what to say about it. It's actually kind of frustrating and maddening about how you, you need to find the exact square you need to reach in order to find the one new food you need in order to find the way to progress further and otherwise you're kind of stuck. It, it can be really maddening figuring out how to progress and find your way through it. Possible, Shit. but frustrating. That doesn't sound like the most wholehearted recommendation. <laughs> well, there's a lot of fun parts, too. I just have a couple frustrations I need to vent. That's all. Okay. Well, just a few. we're all about getting every side of the game out there, not just the good ones. So we might as well let yeah. the frustrations be vented. Yeah, it's just you know, it's a fun side game, but it also is kind of frustrating. Yeah, I think it's totally optional in every way, but yeah, it's not the best part of the game. But at least it's you know, you don't have to spend little. You know, I don't know if you even have to spend any time on it if you don't want to. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember if they force you to mess around with it a little bit in the beginning, but I don't think Maybe so. Maybe just a little bit, but not much. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good rewards for doing so, but um, most notably is the fact that, you know, going through the side game unlocks a lot of optional bosses, which are basically special bosses associated with your explorations of the water that you have to beat them in order to progress through the seaside travels. And they're kind of crazy fights that work on different rules than normal battles because you can't just fight them with your normal party. You need to either, one, team up with a group of NPCs, up to three different groups per boss fight, who all have their own, basically pre-built NPCs who have their own party dynamics and abilities and equipment. And by beating these fights, you can get special equipment for your characters and get the special loot drops from the enemies, which can be turned into great weapons. Or, alternatively, you can team up with another player with a different copy of Veteran Odyssey 3 and team up with their units to fight one of these bosses, which I imagine would be a lot easier than these doing it with an NPC team. Since some of the NPC teams, are, you have to carry them because they kind of suck. <laughs> other times, they're, in other cases, they're teams that, you know, they show off how amazing class combos can be, so you can kind of show, like, oh, hey, I didn't know that class could do that. That's kind of cool. And teach you a lot about how the classes work, which I really appreciate. Uh, but there's cool fights with good music because you know this is a <laughs> There's always good music, especially especially in three. In listening to the soundtrack, I would say that the third and fifth stratums really caught my ear. Yeah, the well, okay, all the stratums are kind of awesome. The fifth in particular is such a great song. It's so beautiful. The fifth stratum is actually a really strange stratum in terms of the tone. It's not what you'd expect at all, and it's actually really cool. Okay. So I think that's I, a thing I, for the series. I, yeah. I'm a, I can only speak about how awesome the theme is. I haven't actually played the Stratum itself. <laughs> Any other... Say, oh, go ahead, Mike. No, I'll just keep saying that the theme is awesome as long as it takes for people to go listen and say, 
yeah, that sure is awesome. Mm-hmm. Any other final thoughts about about? Oh, yeah. Well, we'll get to the end, and we're gonna we're gonna give you a final okay. chance to gush over all of them. But is there is there anything else uh, that you could think of that, as far as what makes this contrast from the other uh, two that we mentioned, or anything along those lines? I don't want to say the fact. I think this is one of the great RPGs for other people to look to and say, this is how you make great classes and abilities for an RPG. I, it's one of the best. The only thing, I, it's really right up there with Xenoblade, I think, for me, in terms of, like, these are some of my favorite games which really most push forward good RPG design. And, mm-hmm. and that, I don't know, I really love it for that. Yeah, this, just the whole, the, the, the uh, design of the classes in this game is just uh, obviously, we gush about it a lot, and but I don't think you can really get a true sense for it unless you either play the game or at least you know read more in the classes, look at the different abilities and how they interact. It's just you know that great and really even that much better than the first two games. So you know, glad they took their time on this one and didn't just shove this out quickly after two. Yeah, it's. Uh, oh I'm, wait, I know what changed. Obviously, the graphics look amazing, right? Uh... <laughs> well, it's a DSRPG. It's the same engines, the first two. It looks yeah. basically the same. The dungeon, as we all the... know, you, you play a dungeon crawler for the looks. Well, I mean, you it, know, the enemies have great art. It I looks guess. more in, in, in static look, art. But... looks more like sea-inspired instead of, like, forest-inspired, I guess. Yeah, it's got a very different aesthetic look because, you know, like the second stratum is you are under the water. That's what it looks like. You can walk by and there's a coral reef. Such. Uh, that's. It's really interesting though. You are. And oh, I was going to say something about it. What was it? Darn, I think I lost my track of my thought. All right. Well, you know, y'all make this sound good, but I know of a game that clearly must be better because. How do you make something good into something better? You make it bigger, and you turn it into a titan. We'll talk about that when we come back after this musical selection.
Thank you for holding on tight because we're now ready to talk about Etrian Odyssey 4 Legends of the Titan. I've developed and published a buy outlet and uh, NIS America, it looks like, released here in North America on February 26, 2013. Uh, oh, you know what? This is funny. As this says, single player role playing game for a year Nintendo, a 3DS system now the last game uh wiki had said we didn't touch on this but wiki had said it had a multiplayer component i mentioned that briefly yeah he he did touch on ah i missed out on that but this one does not so i guess they they decided that wasn't uh a super critical element well it's got street pass oh street pass there you go so that's going almost multiplayer okay sort of well you know the game may have gotten bigger i'm presuming it's bigger because it has titan in the title but the story has shrunk because i guess they had to make some extra space somewhere for all that extra gameplay because it's only got like three lines again in wikipedia so clearly (laughs) it must be a smaller story Uh, right story wise it's basically on power three i think i don't know if it has any of the alternate branching story routes since i'm still keeping my way through this because you know what the third stratum is hard or rather this one super boss in the third stratum is just killing me it's like you know i oh that guy i remember that thing that you suck i hate you you are impossible you're almost as bad as that one that one ant queen in three who it took me like two stratums before i finally beat you It says, For centuries, the tree Yggdrasil has been a constant presence in the lives of the people of Tarsus. It looms on the horizon, visible from everywhere in the city. But its roots are in a far-off land where no one has ventured until the Outland Count of Tarsus sponsors an explorer's guild to reach Yggdrasil and discover its secrets. You are the latest explorer arriving in Tarsus on an adventure to seek your fame and fortune. Bam! Wrap your mind around that. Bum, well, bum, bum. Yeah, the thing about this one is it breaks the basic formula pretty extremely since it's not about going through a single big dungeon anymore. It's about going through lots of dungeons as you explore a bigger world in your airship. Yeah, you you go around the airship, you eventually gain the ability to fly to a second and even a third height allowing you to reach other areas of the landscape and there are foes on the ground and in the air that your airship mm-hmm. might just run into and you have to reach the dungeons and there are each area there will be one big dungeon with multiple stratum and there will be several smaller dungeons which only have a single stratum you can clear them pretty quickly if you know what you're doing and Oh, yes. In addition to those foes, three of the areas have these lovely, lovely, gigantic dragons that will fly through every now and again, and you need <laughs> yeah. to dodge them, or else those they will actually, smack you out of the sky. <laughs> those things are actually recurring super bosses from previous games in the series. Like, I ran into one of those dragons in Edge of 3. It absolutely murdered me in a horrible way, but <laughs> it made me really want to stay away from them when I ran into them in 4. Well, you should, because you don't even get to fight. They just smack you out of the sky. Well, at least they don't what? give you a game over. No, you... <laughs> that that would be really mean. And, and told that, man, we really ought to be careful the next time there's a dragon floating through the sky. Look what it did to us. Yeah, but on the other hand, they drop these little glittering things you can pick up and sell for tons of money. You can't. You have to be careful about it. Very careful. But you can do it. 
And after you complete the main game, you are able to take on quests that allow you to fight the dragons. I did that for one of them. And Ooh. if you beat a dragon, that actually bumps up the level limit. You can you Ooh. kill a dragon, you can go from 70 to 80. That's your new max. Wow. I don't know. I presume the same happens if you kill all three of them so that you can actually hit level 99 if you really want to. And, of course, you will need to be helpful. loaded for bear because the dragons are not going to give up easily. Yeah. They, if it's anything like three, then it's like I have no idea how I can survive that much damage. Super boss. Well, the one I fuck. Okay. Just super bosses in the series are insane. Just like you know, I thought this was in three. This this one boss. I thought you know, my bodyguard move automatically acted before everything else. Apparently, there's some bosses that can attack before that even happens. I don't know how. It's like I thought you're breaking the rules of the game to beat me up here. Also, quick note about. The first three Atreonasi games that we didn't quite mention is that, you know, enemies don't have much a- a- animation whatsoever. But if they do have an animation, you're probably going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they're good enough for the animators to expend some extra effort on them, there's a reason. <laughs> um, you know, it's... Okay, so there are, there, there are four general areas that you visit with your airship. And after you beat the fourth stratum, then... Story? The fifth stratum appears, but it's in the it's in the fourth airship area and it actually the fifth stratum is a slight disappointment to me just because it has a really nice musical theme but of course you don't get to hear it very much because most of the fifth stratum is technically you go back to all those areas that you couldn't reach in the first second third and fourth stratums and go through them all which oh disappointing which you know means that you get to hear all the nice themes of those stratums again but the fifth stratum's theme is really cool um, music being really cool is a thing in the series. I can't say. Well, that let's enough. just get it out there. This one, instead of using old computer technologies the way he did for the first three, Yuzo Koshiro actually had a band performing this stuff. You can tell, and the musicians know what they're doing. This this stuff rocks. It swings. It's soothing. It's awesome music. It loses some of that cool chip chip tunes aesthetic that I kind of liked from the previous games, but. It's still pretty good. It does, but I can appreciate that he wanted to do something a little different, and he succeeded grandly. Well, I think it fits this game nicely, because since it kind of becomes a bit more modern and a bit less retro, so it's kind of fitting that they change the music, too. But yeah, I understand definitely missing the the chiptune music. Yeah, this one has an easy mode. And if you get wiped out on easy mode, then you wind up back in town instead of hitting a game over. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not going to recommend easy mode just because I'm that kind of player. <laughs> Me too. Don't do it. But easy mode sounds fun. It sounds. It sounds stress free. It sounds like I'm not going to die. And dying really is not a pleasant experience. I've heard. I mean, oh, if you, if you want to challenge hmm. even on easy mode, then go for the optional stratum, the sixth stratum. That will pound you into the floor over and over again. <laughs> yeah, six stratums tend to do that in this series. Well, this one, naturally the foes, and the foes were still glowing orbs in the third one, right? Yeah, and the third one is still glowing orbs because, you know, it's still on DS. But this one, yeah. they're actual 3D models because, you know, they've moved off the 2D graphics for enemies. Everything's 3D models. And you can see now that now instead of the glowing orb, you can see the giant frog chasing you through, which is in a way a little less scary, but it works. Or the... The, the gigantic sheep that's wandering around <laughs> on a meadow, on a meadow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's most—it actually is kind of threatening because it will try to put you to sleep. 
But if yeah, you can you survive that, then, then you can harvest some wool. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, and still it's there, there's time. a pellet swap of these stupid things in the sixth stratum. So that at first you might think, oh, it's just going to put me to sleep. Oh, no. These sheep petrify you. <laughs> and naturally, the petrification rate is really, really high. So, bamf, everybody's petrified. You lose. That's what you're in for if you fight foes in the sixth stratum. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say that this game has a lot more of having multiple types of foe in the same dungeon, which is really hard to do in alcohol orbs and you can't tell them apart. That, you know, in three, that with one exception, all foes on the one floor are the same across the entire floor. In this one, they mix it up, especially in the overworld areas. Because yeah, they're you know they're instead you can you know lure a, lure a sheep over to an enemy that eats sheep, so you can you need to use a <laughs> sheep foe to distract the sheep eating foe, so you can get past the sheep eating foe and stuff like that. I remember at least two kinds of gigantic homicidal kangaroo foe. <laughs> Those things are hard to beat. Yeah, especially when they show up later in a pallet swap so that you can fight a much harder one. Uh, yeah, there's a good variety of foes, and yeah, especially on the overworld, it means that you ne- really need to pay attention, especially if there's one of those stupid dragons flying around. <laughs> um, well, it's, oh, yes, the, the sixth party slot is actually filled for a while in the second, third, and fourth stratums by an NPC character. And once that NPC character leaves, extra class. Because these NPCs ama- have unique classes. And, yeah, amazingly enough, the NPCs might actually join you. They don't, you know, it's not like... Uh, in the previous games, there wasn't a single named character who joins your party in this game. There are. They're, they have story, they have names, they have personalities, they have unique artwork, and they'll join you. Yeah, and if you don't immediately put them in the party, then they'll hang around at your guild and be ready in case you want to put up a new party. Or, of course, you can just replace them entirely by going around and recruiting a generic character who has an ability set of stats. So, if you want to do that. Yes, you could do that. And you might just have to. But, you know what? I'm surprised Phil hasn't chimed in already with the class rundown. There aren't, a, there aren't <laughs> I, very many I, classes. I, I like, tried to interrupt like three times, but you guys were having so much fun talking about, you know, stratum types and stuff. I just... Didn't want to well, we'll ruin get, we'll your parade. We'll get back to that because the the dungeon design here is great. Okay, yeah, just, um, that's so the high standards of the series. So I'm seeing some different classes, but I'm also seeing the return of some old favorites. The medic, huh? Let's talk about the. Do I get my ninety percent damage reduction okay, spell? The thing about this that the Etrianosi four classes are basically their remixed versions of the original Etrianosi one classes as a whole. They look a lot like them from the surface, but in detail, they're very different. The most similar one is probably the medic because it's still the medic. It loves healing things. Do you have a ninety percent off skill? No, no. Don't. No. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Phil. Dang it! That was it my I. That's, that's my I win button for playing through the first one. However, it does have crazy stuff like an ability which, whenever it's an ally dies, it will automatically raise that person without costing an action. Oh, dang! That's spiffy. Okay. Also, has a couple abilities to you know just bash them overhead and knock them unconscious with a club. Though that usually requires that you have to have the medic in the front row, which isn't the greatest of ideas all the time. Not the greatest, but they're surprisingly tough, I guess. <sighs> Land yeah, they, 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 they can't equip shields, but they can hold pretty and good you know, You can always armor. subclass them into fortress so they can equip shields. That's, how That's true. Possible. That's very true. Uh, what about the Landschnicht? <laughs> they're back, and Schnicked. this time they've this time they're a bit more 
well, they're a bit more leaderly because every time they hit enemies, they debuff them so you can hit them better with the other allies. And generally, they've got some cool abilities, like the link abilities, which, you know, you hit with a move, like, basically, hit with a giant fire sword, and every other ally, then every time an ally hits that enemy, they'll echo with another fire sword attack. So, basically, hit... You hit with one, uh, they'll hit, the lance check will hit with one fire move, and then uh, said Archer will hit it with an arrow, then the lance check will hit again with a fire move, and then maybe someone else throw another sword move, and then they'll hit again with a fire move, and this can do a lot of damage if you get a good combo going. It's really fun. But so they also some, still, their name is still really hard to pronounce. Yeah. Especially and if you're Phil. Yes. <laughs> Especially. No, no, I'm pronouncing it fine. It's everybody else who pronounces it wrong. <laughs> Schnick. And Schnick. Schnicked. Okay, well, obviously, you need to follow that with bub, Phil. Schnicked bub. Hey, there we go. <laughs> all right, all right. Here's one I think we can agree on the enunciation. Dancer. Dancers are... I don't know. They're, sort of. Well, they can buff, they can heal, or they can do lots of physical attacks. I mean lots yeah. of physical attacks. They've basically got three whole trees. Basically, pick which dances they're using. Basically, each dance is a buff it places on itself at last certain turn, so you can stack up to three different dances at once, so they're doing three different things at once. Yeah. And there's a lot of options in there. It's kind of like a mix of the Troubadour and the Buccaneer, because they've got yeah. like a chase dance. Chase sword attacks. Yeah. They can, but they can also heal and buff. I actually uh, played the demo of this with a party of dancers, which was really <laughs> weird and, and kind of awesome. <laughs> I think I recall, be... they're, they're not bad for, in a fight either. They, no. They're pretty fast. No, and yeah, I mean, they're, five, they're a little, little fragile, but they can, they're fragile, but you know, they can you know, hit a lot and hit hard. Yeah, and it's really nice when you have five of them that can all feed off each other. And yeah, I probably get some yeah, it was uh, interesting, to say the least. I don't yeah. know if if I would actually try and play the whole game like that, but it was definitely interesting. The interesting thing about them, though, is that their buffs and heals only apply to the line they're in. So posi- proper positioning in your party is important. Yes. Wouldn't it be cool if, like, when they did their dancing thing, a disco ball came down in front of the enemies and they just kind of started dancing? That's like a Ratchet and Clank. There's a weapon you get. I love Ratchet and Clank. But there's a disco ball weapon. It's like Mega Man, but there's, like, one weapon that he shoots out a disco ball and it it floats in the air and all the enemies literally start dancing Michael Jackson style. And while they're dancing for that brief moment in time... You can totally open up a can of whoop ass on them. <laughs> They'll just sit there and take it. That's that's what we need to dance. Disco fever. Disc. Okay. All right. I'm gonna stop. I now. wanna rock with you all night. Rock you into the sunlight. <laughs> okay. 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 So we're dancing into the night with a night seeker. Which night seeker? Uh, yeah. You you might remember this class under a different name that we shall not speak anymore. Ooh, yeah, it's basically what, the, what was it known as? I, I'm it's curious. It's a vastly improved version of the old Dark Hunter that basically ditches <laughs> almost all of the things that made the Dark Hunter the Dark Hunter and instead becomes a lot more like a ninja and assassin. Yes, and, so no binding. Sorry, Phil. Yeah, I, they don't bind at all anymore. It, uh, it you will know, poison, though. It will silence. It okay, will, yeah, I... Basically the, poison throwing daggers and carry two swords at once to slash enemies to ribbons and they assassinate things or use a shadow cloak to protect themselves from physical hits so they can fit a lot of different roles it's either something to stop any from attacking or do some damage 
oh, and they've got the neat trick that, you know, they do a ton of damage against enemies that have been afflicted with the status ailments. So, blind an enemy and then do tons of damage to it. Okay. Which, you is, know what? which is usually affected by their skills. I mean, if you bump up to do damage against something blind, then you pump that up to max, you will do a crap ton of damage. If you don't, that's yeah. not going to help much. Okay, you guys need to stop talking about this class now because it's very boring. I'm looking at the class list. It does not live <laughs> up to its predecessor. Skill names like 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 Sand Throw, Nerve Throw, Blade Fury, Shadow Cloak, Auto Cloak, Decoy, Expertise. This is all boring crap. Uh, I I have not played this game, but I can tell just by looking at the names of the skills, it sucks. So uh, That's a really great class. No, I've got two no, of them in my party, which I'm no. playing right now. No, 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 no. They they need to go back to the drawing board. I'm sorry. Uh, so let's move on to something that's hopefully a little more exciting. Uh, Imperials. Okay, that, those you don't get until late in the game. That's when the third NPC joins you in the... Yeah, I didn't even know their stratum. name until now, so thank you for that spoiler. Spoiler! Uh, hey, I'm just reading the list off the website. Th- th- I should act... This is actually a character... Once he joins you, he... Formerly appeared to be just this derelict bum who who ch- chimes in and tell you a few things every now and again, but he joins you in the fourth dungeon, fourth stratum for a while. And okay, the Imperial, I remember these guys. They have really, really strong attacks with really long cooldown periods. And yeah, if you like hitting something like a ton of bricks on one turn and then needing to wait five turns before you can use it again, Imperial is your class. Because they're also pretty good, but most of their really unique abilities have long cooldown periods. There, there's your imperial. Look, also, they look really awesome in the kind of robotic cyborg armor and heavy gunblade weaponry. So, see, yeah. th- this is my problem. I'm looking at a, a purely text reminder. I don't have any visuals to remind me what the imperials look like. You have one up on me, Nathan. <laughs> Hmm, okay, so we will move on to the Snapper. Snipers are archers, basically. They, they're they the class that actually binds everything this time around. So yeah. They can Ooh, shoot an arrow into its leg really? to bind it, they can shoot an arrow into an arm <laughs> to bind it, and you somehow shoot an arrow into their head to bind that without killing them, I guess. Mm. <laughs> so. well, it, well, the area, if the arrow was strong enough to kill it in the first place, then it would have been dead. Since it wasn't strong enough, it bound. I guess. Uh, yeah. So yeah, they bind things with arrows. Still a little yeah. disappointing. I'm looking at it. I mean, there is discerning eye, which allows you to increase chance of finding awesome partners from a distance. Okay, that's that's, that's kind of interesting. Some binding going on there. Yeah, not nearly as much fun. We need to go back to the drawing board, guys. <laughs> uh, obvi- Phil is obviously turned off because it uses a bow and arrow, not a whip. Well, you know it'd be really cool. Ooh, true, fair enough. You know it'd be really cool is okay if you're gonna have a sniper class. That, that I always I kind of find that interesting because you're playing a dungeon crawler where you basically have a front row and a back row, but snipers are traditionally known for being way back in a distance. So I'm thinking we need a third row just for the sniper class. He's like way in the back, back there, can't touch. Yeah, if you're way in the back, you're probably eaten by an FOE while everyone else is just. Yeah, probably <laughs> FOE comes over behind and he eats his ass. Okay, 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 okay. What about Arcanist? And I'm really interested in what you have to say about Arcanist because I love my Arcanist of Final Fantasy 14. So it's cool like that, right? Yeah, she a lot like the Arcanist of Final Fantasy 14. I feel a lot like that. Yeah, huh. I love Arcanist. Uh, so, so they're basically the all Arcanists in this game are kind of a weird elf people called vessels uh, that you meet later in. 
and they also you, you also can't use this class at the beginning. You have to yeah, this is gain class access to it. Unlocked. But you know, it's a really interesting one because it lays down these things called circles. And every, every, at the end of every turn, uh, every enemy affected by the circle will be a chance to be afflicted by either a bind or an ailment, depending on which circle you lay down. And also, Do I remember they go, right that there are beneficial circles to your party too, like ones that can heal you? Or am I, am no, I it's rather right? they have a special abilities so much that, that such that you know, when the, while the circle is done hurting the enemies, it will also heal you. Okay, okay. I, I thought I remembered that, cool. but I didn't remember the specific. Yeah, they also have the ability to dismiss a circle, kind of removing its effects, which point they can either do damage or heal a party. And every time, and so yeah, they're all like they kind of behave a bit like the wildling actually from three, and a lot like the hexer from one and two, and a kind of weird mix of that. So they're complex and interesting, and I really like this class actually. Just a lot of fun to play, and they're it's too bad they're not available right away. Yeah, that's kind of annoying, but hey, we feel a lot more worthwhile when you finally get one. Well, and you don't have to wait too long. That's only until you've completed the second stratum. Okay. Well, I'm uh, I'm kind of interested in the next two classes because they're names. Uh, the next uh, the next one is Bushy. So I'm pretty sure this is a really cute, fuzzy class. It's Bushy. Tell me about Bushy people. This is Bushy as in Bushy, though. This is the Semi class that's manned entirely by giant, powerful animal people. Uh, wait, are they animal people? Either, like, are they fuzzy? Giant, well, there's bunny girls. So. Ooh! Okay, I'm liking this class. Funny, soft oh bunny girls. I'm liking it. Keep, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. There's also, you know, the giant wolf men. So. Yeah. Take your pick. Bunny girl. Bunny girl. Bunny girl. Focus <laughs> on bunny girl. This is all because you've been playing Dragon Quest recently, isn't it, Phil? You know, we'll get there. We will talk about the bunny girl, but right now I'm focused on Nathan's bushy. I'm just glad. I'm just glad there's no bunny dark hunter. Oh, oh my god! <gasps> can I can I do that, Nathan? Can I dual no, class no, to a dark hunter no. with my bunny girl? No, dark hunter is not in this game. But think about the po- okay, okay, Atlas. Listen to me. Entering Odyssey Five, you need bushy rabbit girls with a dark hunter skill set from Entering Odyssey One. This is every man's dream come true. Make it happen. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to steal your spotlight. Okay, so we were talking about how awesome bushy people, bushy or whatever's are. Go, go for it. I'll leave this other since I have not actually unlocked this class yet because as I said I'm still in the third stratum okay I can into that that's stage. okay I can talk about this very knowledgeable even though I've never played the game they're awesome bunny girls go for the girls not for the guys they sound boring bunny girls okay <laughs> this, this, this is- uh, uh, okay this is another one where you get it after the third stratum is completed uh, and a and a male bushy joins you for the last part of the third stratum I know I just Ruined Phil's night by saying that it's a male that joins you. A big kind of remind me of a giant cat man. You know, I I was listening to you, but all I got out of that was blah blah blah. Get a bunny girl on your team, blah blah blah. So let's move on to the fortress. Well, that just sounds okay, cool. Bu- I like that. Let, name. Me say, let me say what the bushy does first. Oh, it uses a bunch of skills that subtract some of its HP. But hmm. it has abilities that regain HP if it kills things. Hmm. So, so if you're really good at killing <gasps> things, then uh, the bushy is the bushy. 
Wow, she's into that whole self-defecation, kinky. Self-defecation, Phil. That's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> Self-mutilation? Is that what it uh, is? Uh, Rubbing on. That's, that's better. Anymore, <laughs> okay, Fortress. I'm, a, I'm afraid we've broken uh, Phil. Yeah, it actually isn't several... you guys that have broken me. It's something that we're going to talk in the next oh. segment that's broken me. <laughs> Keep Fortress up. is four levels in Super Mario World, but I don't think we're talking about that here. Ah. <laughs> yeah, the Fortress is basically it's your it's the tank. It's like the protector, mm-hmm. like the hoplite. It carries a giant shield and has a ton of hit points. It has ugly sprites. <laughs> but, Ooh, I'm not a fan of ugly. Oh, so I'm thinking oh, we should pass oh, this one. Well, Mike, you said it's like like Super Mario Brothers, and you know your princess is in another castle. That being Etrian Odyssey three, and not this one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I had to make that joke. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> um, yeah, Fortress. I'm the one who brought Mario thing. into it. I earned that. <laughs> yeah. okay, clubs things has a giant shield. It- it's a tank. Moves really slowly. Yeah. As tanks do. It, I don't want to say about other than the fact that. Um, have we run out of classes? There are only ten in this game. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> did we talk about the Rune Master? Oh, Rune Master. No, not Rune Master. Did we talk about uh, Rune Master? Are... Yeah, we did. No, we didn't. We did. <laughs> yeah, I think we did. I don't think so. We didn't. Rune Masters are the newest incarnation of... Wait, wait, are they pretty? They're the newest incarnation of... They, they have fancy clothes... Oh, okay. Okay, proceed. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rune Masters are the latest incarnation of stuff like the Alchemist and Zodiac, and basically they have all the big elemental attack spells, except this time around the elements are not symmetrical. They have each element has a different attack pattern for its spells, which are kind of hard to follow. And also, instead of being boring like the Alchemists or having the prophecy abilities like Zodiacs, this time around they have rune skills, which they... Lay down a rune, and thus every all of your allies gain resistance to the element of that rune, and all enemies gain weakness to the element of that rune. So, for example, if you enemies using fire, throw down fire rune to raise your defense. Then, if you want them to be weak to ice, throw down ice rune, and they're weak to ice spells. So, there's some interesting options in there, and they've also got some surprisingly useful defensive skills too, but yeah. defend other allies against magic attacks and such. It's kind of annoying it took four games for them to make a more interesting mage, but I'm glad they did, because it's definitely more interesting than the past three games. Yeah, yeah, I like the Zodiac. This one, I don't know, all the different elemental attack spells just don't work as well for me, but... (laughs) Well, it's it's a little little weird, but I like it that, you know, each element isn't just, you know, okay, you get one, you get an ability that attacks one enemy, and then you get one that attacks them all. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, so it, it, it's just nice to have a little variety there, so that there's actually an actual reason to get the different elements. And also, unlike other ones, this one's actually, unlike the Zodiac, this is actually a good class for subclassing, which is a big change. Definitely, definitely. Okay, I think that's all of them. Well, okay, let's let's go with the first stratum, and the little substratums in that first area, they're all in nice, pleasant forests, with such a soothing theme that, god darn it, you, you might be tempted to fall asleep. I know Chicken God on our forums had that problem. It's just <laughs> such soothing music. Yeah, and then the, the second that's... stratum is in some high canyons with a couple of the smaller dungeons there are laden with poison 
trees and whatnot. And the, main the boss. Phase. Yes, uh, it is. Which, uh, so you're going to have to get clever with your mapping. All right. Yeah. This, when I go Numbers here, I wind up right? here. They do. They very much do. Yeah. And the boss is incredibly irritating because it keeps summoning soldiers to help it. Yeah, there's a lot of creepy shadow enemies in there and such. You know, a dark atmospheric forest when you're always getting lost. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, this is actually the farthest I've gotten in this game. Unfortunately. Okay, then I, I, better, I better be careful how I talk about the remainder. Because yeah, I can see the end. The, yeah, I've only got to the third, which is okay, you know, my, my, the ma- my mountain cavern. Yeah, it's, well, basically, the third one is it's a very cold land. And you enter, Ooh. and the caves in there are jagged places, jagged yellow caves with icy winds, except for the fact, you know, that something is causing these normally cold caverns to boil over with horrible, oppressive heats. You can hmm. try to mess, you need to break your way through these, the, the origin of this boiling heat and make things refreeze, and some, after a few days, the heat comes back, and you need to basically move through things, either the water is an obstacle, or water is, it turns to freezes over, turns to an ice skating rink, and it's... Oh, also, for the first time in the series, a stratum has more than one entrance in this third stratum. There's both a top mm. entrance and a bottom entrance. It takes you to two different floors of the dungeon. So, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting dungeon. Yes, and the boss, if you can manage to freeze off all of the jagged teeth things that are emitting heat in this place and then how do you do this you get you get these things somehow these these icicles or whatever they are to do this and if you use them against this boss it helps a lot because it's one it's one nasty big fiery lizard thing you said this was the thing that was killing you right Nathan ah uh, no the thing that's killing me was the stupid baboon king oh okay I don't that's an optional boss. I, I just, you know, I want to beat it, but I can't. The reward looks nice, but I can't get it because this thing is murdering me. Because it's using a stupid combination attack that heals it and murders my whole party over and over again. That's its own boss. Sorry. Yeah, I can't remember that guy right now. He must not have. I remember the, the big boss of the third stratum, though. Uh, and then, all right, you move past the frozen, windswept mountains. The fourth stratum is kind of. Elevated ruins where you meet, you run into – for a while, there are other airships in the area, and you must avoid them or else they will shoot you down. So you have to kind of skitter around until there's uh, there's a plot point that a couple of the NPCs who float around in hot air balloons will help you to distract them, and you can get into the fourth stratum, which is kind of a, an ancient clockwork ruin of some kind. That's the best way I can describe it at the moment. And once you get down there and beat the boss, which I don't remember right... Actually, I do remember, because the boss is one tricky son of a gun. It has multiple phases, and, you know, it's the kind of thing where you need to unload during the right point because its defense will go up massively if you're not during other points. Um, You beat that, you unlock the fifth stratum, which is mostly you have to go through all the parts that you couldn't reach of the first four stratums, but then you get into... The rest of it, and you beat you beat up on a king who's trying to do something. I don't even remember. He thinks that beating up on the the spirit of Yggdrasil is the smart idea, but he's kind of crazy at the moment. And then you fight 
the final boss, and if you beat it, then you get to go on to the sixth stratum, which is just exploring an, a really dark abyss of a place with tons of nasty traps all over. I know exactly like fifth stratums always are, and these you know, last stratums always are. And I just have to say that the, the the battle theme of the sixth stratum sounds like aliens are coming in the fifties to attack Earth. That is exactly <laughs> how it sounds. As if flying saucers are overhead, shooting their beams of, at everyone. And I did not complete the fifth stratum, uh, the sixth stratum, even though I wanted to, because it really ramps up the difficulty. And I was, I'd already spent a good 70 or so hours on the game at that point, so I'd gotten my fill. Um, what else is there to say? Uh Mapping the world is just as much fun as exploring the dungeons, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, the mapping this one basically it's a, takes the ocean traveling to three and actually simplifies it. It takes out stuff like the provisions and all the you know puzzle elements and stuff as frustration. So it's actually a little bit more boring. It's not as difficult and complex, but still interesting. Unless, of course, a dragon comes by. Or yeah, or you know, you just get beaten up by kangaroo again. I hated that. <laughs> well, it might not be a kangaroo that beats you up. It could be that freaky bipedal crocodile with two tails, whatever they call that. Uh, <laughs> also want to eat me. Everything wants to eat me. Ah. Uh, and then the fourth stra- the fourth area, what were the foes? Uh, the, I think they were mostly big birds, which, of course, oh, yes, one of those stupid birds had an instant death ability. you got to love those. <laughs> Um, you you had only gotten into the second stratum, right, Mr. Apps? Yes, you see, what happened was I had to review another first-person dungeon crawler that was not quite as uh, well-polished, and it kind of killed my mood for any first-person dungeon crawler for a long time. That's sad to hear. Yeah, but yeah, I'm going to rectify that, so actually playing it right now. Yeah, did we mention that the the music in this game is really awesome? Because it is. Yeah, we need to keep saying this like every five minutes, just to make sure people know because yeah. the music is good. It really is. Well, there's there's such a thing as making sure that the information sinks in. You know, sometimes you, you can't just trust one or two repetitions. You gotta hammer it home. Yep, keep hammering. Um, yeah, this this was pretty much my introduction to series when Mac asked me, "Hey, you want to review this for us?" And I. I first started playing it at a really crappy time last year when somebody I knew was dying, which didn't make things easier, but when I was able to get into this game, it was still a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, now that I've really deflated things. It's all <laughs> yeah. because uh, of you. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to hear I, I mean, this, the, the, what I like about this game is it's kind of taking the series a bit forward, adding a lot of new stuff and kind of just moving away from the retro, you know, one giant dungeon you go through. Uh, so that, that's Every- definitely nice to see. You don't want to, don't mm-hmm. want this series to become stale. And yeah, it doesn't always, although- I mean, yeah, it def- doesn't, it definitely is a nice thing to push towards new directions and, you know, it does a lot of advanced things like, you know, it changes the subclass systems so no longer can you put as many points into Basically, now you only put half as many points in your subclass as you can in your main class. So, for example, 
a skill which you can put ten points in as it's your main class, you can only put five as a subclass. So it balances things out a little bit more, a bit more focused into your main class, but still opens up a lot of the options for the subclass. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I just find this class is more boring than the utterly awesome class list from three. Yeah, can't help but feel that way. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot. Of, I'd say they're still better than some of the older. Yeah, classes, almost undoubtedly but, better than one and two. Yeah, but. but just the classes in three were so uh, just it's neat, such a high original. Bar. Yeah. yeah. You can't so. beat a class as pirates and a game as pirates and ninjas as two of its main classes. Yeah, really. As it sounds kind of funny, but it's really true. Like, uh, you know, it's like, oh, we're back to the old fighting class we can't pronounce. <laughs> I, I pronounce <laughs> it just fine. I'm sorry, you guys can't, you know, pull it <laughs> off. But you know, I, I don't have a problem with it. I'd I'd like to say about this game. Uh, the the first three had pretty much still anime still frames for the enemies in battle, right? Yeah, yeah. As I said, you know, if you Except saw an animation, it's probably a boss killing you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one, all of the enemies are animated. Mm-hmm. And it, different they're attacks. Pretty, they're pretty fluidly animated too. They, I like it. There's a and pretty high rate of palette swapping. I gotta mention that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and uh, a lot of the enemies are just. You know, 3D models of some of the enemies from the original games, but yeah, it's still nice. To... Amount of, like, there's a lot of enemies that look really familiar. Like, you know, I fought you in three, and <laughs> like you know, it's kind of cool to see it in a big fancy new 3D model and 3D and all that. But yeah, it's it's nice to have that visual upgrade. Um, although we probably could have had some really nice sprites on the 3DS, but uh... yeah, they probably been gorgeous. <laughs> But it's a way to move the series forward and probably still keeps it, the development cheap since they're still doing lots of palette swapping. Hmm. But I'm a, I'm a, I'm okay with that for yeah, you know, like, you know gameplay is so this good. Kind of like, game. I'm gonna any little thing like palette swapping is just a minor complaint. You have to wonder, like, for, of all the enemies that can 3D model, why sheep? Why giant murderous <laughs> sheep? Because somebody on the development team had some bad mutton ones. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I was going to say something. So. And I forgot what it was. Must ready? not have been important. We ready for the wrap up? Mm, I suppose so. I th- okay. So I'm going to go through each of the four games, tell you how much they're going for on half.com, and whether or not you think people should rush out and buy it. Especially given the the price point, right? Let's take a look here. Oh, oh! I seem to have opened up the wrong link. That's not good. Ooh, what did you come up with the prices for, Phil? Well, you know that's the that's the funny thing. Well, I this is really odd. Uh, give me a, I there's not a listing for the original Etrian Odyssey. Huh? Well, that's not right. I will I will have to dig a little bit deeper into that one. That's a little rude. Me, I opened up the uh, right. I opened up the uh, right. NDS remake instead. Do you see it? The original NDS. Oh, here we go. Let, let me look. I found a wow, brand there are, new. There are very few copies on eBay fair. right now, but there's a a complete one with free shipping for twenty two dollars. Twenty two bucks. Yeah. Forty three yeah, people see. rushing it. So. Like, oh hey, look at this. Twenty four dollars new on Amazon. Oh, yeah. is it? Is it on 23, Amazon? 23, oh, wait, no, I'm looking at Shotzi 4. 
Okay, so let's uh, see. Oh, oh, somebody is selling one, two, three, and four, all Ooh. apparently sealed. Oh, and what's the low price on that? $135. Hmm, might be worth it. Then. And, and they're coming those. from Canada, so the shipping will probably not be that great. Yeah. I think you could oh yeah, $20 shipping. Yeah, I would I think I would I would go with Nathan's recommendation here. You can get a brand new from uh, Amazon yeah, for that was actually 23. <laughs> so why yeah, why I even bother with eBay? Actually, no, still same price on I see every Etrian oh, Odyssey and except you would get three it. on Amazon for under $30 prime <laughs> eligible. Yeah. Brand uh, new. Uh yep, yep, three's got only one left in stock at 36. It seems like Which isn't bad. But you know, our listeners—they don't just settle for what you can get off of Amazon. That is just so like every day. Anybody could do that. Instead, That's too convenient. Yeah. Our, our listeners are willing to go the extra mile. We're we're hardcore. So since you guys talked up three so much, I got a fresh, brand new, limited. Ed- we don't want just a regular copy to get off. Of, you know, I want the limited edition with the special edition something or rather. What is it? A special edition Forest of Eternity art book, a sixty-page full color art book with designs and sketches spanning the entire Etrian Odyssey series for the low low price of a hundred dollars. I have that art book. It is pretty nice. There Crazy you go. special editions go years after release. It's actually pretty cheap. I, I wonder if I got that book. I might have that one. I usually buy those games. Oh, I didn't get that book. So, uh, okay, okay, okay. Going for, let's presume they're all around 30 bucks. Etrianasi yeah. one worth it? You know, um, it has the remake on 3DS. It adds some stuff. I don't know how they compare since I haven't played either, but it's worth considering. If uh, If you only have a DS... Then definitely, yeah, I would check it out. Just you know, keep the obvious uh, issues we talked about in mind. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you if you haven't used the three and a half years that the 3DS has been out to get one, then you're probably looking pretty hard for DS stuff by now. Yeah, that's that's a really good price. Yeah, especially a lot of RPGs yeah. on the DS are pretty rare and more expensive. So it seems yeah. like Atlas must have done a reprint at some point. So, what about Etrian Odyssey 2 Heroes of Lard? Or Lagarde or something? <laughs> well, it by all accounts is basically a slightly better version of the original, but I don't know how this plot compares, but I don't know how now, this plot say it's like is. A better, you say it's like a slightly better version. Is it different dungeons, though? Or is it like yeah, the same dungeons? Yeah. I'd no, say no. in terms of, you know, it's like it does a lot the same, but still oh. it's basically better. Okay. Newer. It, it's, yeah, it's not like... Um, anything related to the first game at all. It's a new dungeon, new story. You're actually going up instead yeah. of down. So that's yeah. that's a change. If you have if you have the you know a three DS then when it comes to that first one you do need to consider the remake and we'll talk about that in a in a future show I'm sure you can just go to RP Game and read our reviews. But um, with Entry and Odyssey you can talk about when we do so. What's that? Then hopefully we'll have more interesting games to talk about when we get around to it on oh, the yeah, backdrop. Oh, sure, yeah, sure, sure. But with Etrian yeah, that, Odyssey... There's this, there's this teaser image thing that might just bode, with, bode well for future Etrian well, Odyssey. With, with Etrian Odyssey 2, there's just absolutely no way we're ever going to see a remake of that game. I mean, <laughs> no, no way, none. Well, it was done superbly the first time. Why would you remake what worked? Yeah, so there would be no reason to hold off you want to go and rush out and buy this right now. Uh, hmm. 
Okay, uh, number three. Buy it. Um, you should be ordering copy right now. You, um, you see that nice little pause button on your player, so just you know, pause this, and uh, you know, we'll be back here once you've ordered your copy. We'll wait. Go ahead. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait. Uh, nice weather today, guys. How about y'all? Yeah. Yeah, pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay. Nice. Yeah. Good day for yeah. Binance Nasty Three. Mm, yeah, you know that I was just sitting here thinking, boy, you know, I I, I got a few bucks to spend. Why don't I buy another copy of Adventures Odyssey three just to have a backup copy? Just well, in case. well, Phil, you know, each copy only has one save. So, That's true. You know, if, if I you want to want to play through with a new party, yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. What if I want to lend a copy to a friend? Need need to have yeah. an extra copy lying around? Sure, absolutely. Uh, okay, your, your friend pro- might might do something stupid with the save file, in which case you'd go. What did you do? Why did you do this? And then you'd want to go back to the other copy that isn't afflicted with such a horrible thing. Well, uh, you know, what I'm, what I'm a little concerned about is that he's going to take one look at it and realize that it doesn't have a Dark Hunter class and actually throw it away figuring it's crap when really, you know, we, we know the gameplay is good. It, it lacks a little color, but... Uh, oh, our audience is back now. Okay, Etrian Odyssey 4. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, it's a, it's a good game. I, like, this is one of the best RPG series I've played in a long time. I, I love it so much. So, uh, uh, okay. Uh, so if we were going to rate them, it, it, let's say somebody was just buying them one at a time. Now, the cool thing about Etrianasi games is, unlike most other RPG series, there's 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 no incentive really to play them in order, right? No. So, so you well, really... There's, I guess not a great big incentive. Yeah, so... What would, would it's kind of an evolving out? meta plot around the Aegisils that in each one I've heard, but yeah. I mean it's like post game material for each game. So, so if they were buying them in, let's say, in order of, let's say they were a little strapped for money, maybe they're buying one at a time. Would y'all recommend? It sounds like you're recommending three first, then four, then two, then one. Yeah, it's probably the. At this point, might as well do it. All I can recommend is the way I'm doing, which is three, then four, then probably the remake of one, then hopefully yeah, the remake of two. I was yeah. just going to say, if you, if you have the ability to buy four, then you should buy, probably buy the remake of one instead of one. Oh, okay, fair enough. Now, that's a million-dollar question. Um, for those of you who played more than one of these, here's a, here, you know one thing I've... Uh, I played um, Tomb Raider, right? Which the newer one, which a lot of people have said is a spiritual successor to Uncharted series, which ironically enough is a spiritual successor to the old Tomb Raider games. Anywho, I played Tomb Raider and I had never played the Uncharted series, which came before it. So then I went back and played the Uncharted series, starting with number one. And that really hurt because Tomb Raider is so good. And Uncharted One was good when it came out, but it took so you know it's 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 like five six years ago. It's a huge step back in gameplay and stuff. It, it, it was hard for me to go back. I almost wish I had played them one two three and then gone to Tomb Raider. Is that going to be the case with Etrianasi? Should they play well, the worst one first and then work their way up to the better ones? I, I you know that's why I'm recommending three the first then four for most people because you know. It might be hard to go back to the graphics for three once you've gone to four, even though the gameplay is still so good in three. Yeah, but, it, it, it might be, you know, but if you're playing this kind of game, you're probably okay with yeah, you know, older if graphics. If you've got any anyway. love in your heart for retro RPGs, you'll love this series, no matter yeah. what entry it is. So, I mean, it, it's it's not really the same case as with your you know your in Uncharted Tomb Raider example because mm-hmm. action games generally you know they uh, add a lot from entry to entry and you know advance along the lines so 
in this case, it's kind of a hardcore RPG, so you know the the core gameplay mechanics are going to be there, and the older entries, the main issue is just the graphics. Unless we're talking yeah. about one with some of the balancing problems, I don't think there's. As long as you're okay with going back to like sprites and battle and whatnot, I don't think there's really any issue with yeah, maybe starting I mean, with four and going back that, to the older ones. I will say that you know after playing Final it might be hard to go back to playing Wizardry. Of uh... Uh, I can confirm that that is a hundred percent true. It, it might be tough <laughs> to go back and play. Did you say Wizardry? Wizardry, Wizardry, yeah. Oh like, my and, gosh, that is getting old school. Yeah, yeah, that's well, funny. that that and any like more wizardry type. Oh uh, yeah, like my magic and stuff. Sure. Well, like that, like that one stuff. we played, Phil. Uh, 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 uh yeah, don't even. No, don't. Be, I know where you live, Mike. Okay, keep it up. <laughs> keep it up. Um, hey, I went through it too. <laughs> uh, what, whatever you're gonna do to me was not worth the was not equal to the experience we went through playing through that. <laughs> I, I do. Uh, I do have a a f- one more question for you guys, but it actually ties into our next segment. So I want to wait until then. Any last and final thoughts? Everything. Go buy them right now. Anything else that we've forgotten before we put a put a lid on this can? Um, if you love first person dungeon crawlers, um, ignore anything that sticks closely to wizardry uh, <laughs> mechanics and play these. Please, please don't play Elmanage. Elmanage who? Oh, it, yeah, exactly. What about <laughs> Class of Heroes? Um, eh, I mean, those still have some of the same issues. I mean, like, there's there's some of those Wizardry clones that are, are better and more user-friendly, like one I'm playing now, Demon Gaze, but they still just aren't, can't, they can't touch, they cannot touch uh, these games at all. So, you know, if that's your, if... If that's your kind of game, then you should be playing Etrian Odyssey. Yeah, it's really about the best of the series. Also, other notes, random bit of advice. If the, if an enemy boss is actually nice enough to tell you it's going to be a big attack for using it, you really need to defend. Like, <laughs> defend as hard as you can. Because they aren't playing nice. <laughs> Not at all. They are playing nice. Oh. Yeah, if the, if I'd say if the boss is being kind enough to tell you, I am winding up, and I am about to hit you, then uh, there's probably a reason for it. Hmm. What, that being that the developers didn't necessarily want people crying and sending email and sending voicemails to their offices with a, filled with tears. What about Legend of Grimrock? My apps. What is that? You don't know what Legend of Gumrock is? Oh, is it? Um, Isn't that more of a real time first person? Yeah, that's 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 more oh, like. Oh, that's uh, true. The combat it feels a little. Yeah, yeah it's more com- it's more Eye of the Beholder style. It is. Yeah. It is the dungeon exactly. crawler, but it is. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a close relative, like a sibling. But it's a have you job. have you tried it, Apps? Uh, not not or, all that or much. Or Nah, I, like I only know it by reputation. Yeah, yeah okay. but that's that's kind of a slightly different thing. Uh, more Eye of the Beholder and uh, what was that other series? Dungeon something. Well, I know the later Might and Magic just... games went away from, you know, kind of went away from the, the turn based and went a little bit more kind of like a Suedo real time. It was kind of in between Eye of the Beholder and a traditional turn based approach. Yeah. You could pause it, but for the most part, it kind of run real time. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, games. and then there's Might and Magic 10 on Steam. I think that's still turn based. Dungeon Crawler so. first person perspective. Yeah. 
But um, even the reviews I've read on that, and I talked to somebody who played it, it still sounds like you want to play Edge Rain Odyssey. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, just putting that out there. <laughs> you know, honestly, this whole genre seems kind of dead when Edge Rain Odyssey was first launched, but it feels so alive now with so many yeah. coming out in the US. Yeah, yeah you're right. Know, it's really kind of nice. I don't know if it's coincidence or the fact that it's just uh, resurrected, because it certainly wasn't that game whose name shall not be spoken that, you know, <laughs> no. No, I mean, you even look at it, and there were a lot of. Before Edge and I see, there seem to be a lot of random Japanese first-person dungeon crawlers. But yeah, it's like uh, you know, we never saw them here in the United States until after yeah. the So now we're getting stuff like I don't know, Demon Gaze, which never thought would be translated beforehand. But yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're gonna take a break. We'll be right back, and we're gonna launch a, a new little segment here. Hold on tight. Welcome back. We're ready to do a new segment. This is called, we're going to call it the RPG Check. Re- check. I can't even pronounce my own segments correctly. The, the RPG. Breaking of the rose colored glasses. The breaking, yeah. RPG Trek Retrospective and the subtitle Breaking of the Rose Colored Glasses, especially with this particular title. So if you're not on our website and a part of our forums you need to be because if you were you know that uh, uh, that I've been doing an RPG trek for the last couple of months so, uh, basically my brother and I and a couple of other people are joining as we go along we're just going through an entire series and we picked out Dragon Warrior for the first one uh, so we're going to go through Dragon Warrior 1 through 9 um, straight from beginning to end and each one of us is kind of approaching a little differently. My brother didn't play a lot of these RPGs, so it's really fresh getting his perspective um, on these. He's never been a huge, huge fan of JRPGs in the past, whereas I tend to have the more rose color stained glasses or whatever because um, I grew up playing these along with the computer uh, RPGs at the time. So, so when you get to 7, are you going to play the PS1 version? I am. Which I Are think you going to play the I have. the iOS version for eight? No, no, that would be that would no, that would be so wrong to do to that classic game. No, bad. I have bad. I have it. It's it works no. fine on the phone. No, you whatever. can play it one. You can play it one handed. It's be, great. Before or after you get through all the DRM? No, bad. What DRM? <sighs> I read the reviews about how people were having trouble connecting online to the servers because it would check online to make sure it was a legitimate copy. Who puts DRM on a single-player game? Oh, right, because it's on the it's, phone. Is that on Android? Because that's not something on an iOS. Thing. Yeah, might be an Android thing. Must it, be. Anywho. Uh, yeah, not to mention, that game's actually still pretty enough to see on your screen. Oh, God, I love cel-shaded graphics. Well, I mean... It looks so beautiful. As yeah. much as I like it, uh, that game should be on uh, something with buttons. Let's yes, that. there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anywho, but we're 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 not that far into the series yet. We did uh we did Dragon Warrior One, which I I think I've spoken about that one already, right, Mike? Didn't take you very long, as I no, recall. No, it didn't take very long, and I think I mentioned it on one of the earlier backtracks as part of the uh, final lap. Um, but uh, that game was super short. But as we play the the longer games, I have more to speak on. So I figure it kind of deserves its own segment. Um, this month, the month of July, we uh, play Dragon Warrior 2. And then going into August, we're going to be playing uh, Dragon Warrior 3. Anyways, like I said, we're, this is all described. There's a thread called the RPG Trek. 
uh, in the forums. So you can head over to rpgamer.com, hit the forum link on the left. You can read all kinds of conversations that are going back and forth. You can also uh, join in on this thread. Uh, share share your thoughts, opinions. If you played it before, if you want to join us, you can um, you can jump into the conversation. We also got a Skype group call in the RPG track where we have people talking about Final Fantasy XIV. We have the people who are playing the Dragon Warrior game talking about that as we're going through them. And sometimes people just talk about other games, and that's all good. Anywho, uh... Dragon Warrior 2, and as Mike kind of alluded to, my goal in playing these games is to try to take off some of the rose-colored glasses. Uh, there's no hard and fast rules for how we play these games, and like I said, each one of us is kind of doing it a little differently. For me, I try to play the games reading the original instruction books if I can find them. Usually, if you do a search hard enough, you can find the PDFs and the such. I try. Wait, wait, you were playing it on. You were playing the Super Famicom version, so you. Should I didn't say I had the instruction book for that version. No, no, don't put words in my Aww. mouth, Mike. No, but, I knew you were going there. Bad, Mike. But, bad, bad. But uh, but I'm I'm really curious about what the Japanese Super Famicom instruction book would translate as. You know, I've actually my my wife uh, my wife speaks Japanese, and sometimes she's watching Japanese television shows or she's reading a Japanese book, and she thinks that I don't know this stuff, but I'm completely able to translate it. Absolutely positively. Now she starts laughing like I'm making it up, but I'm not. I totally know what I'm doing. But that's beside the point. No, I got the English instruction book, and and I try to play through the games without resorting to facts and the such, at least to see how far I can get, which in Dragon Warrior 2's case. Anyway, so Dragon Warrior 2 originally released in January 1987 in Japan anyways on the NES, um, Dragon Warrior 2 uh, in the U.S., Dragon Quest 2 in Japan because of copyright issues. Uh, it continues the story. The very de- the game, the story in Dragon Warrior One wasn't much deeper than Etrian Odyssey, and Dragon Warrior Two is about as deep as Etrian Odyssey Two. Uh, you're going to be playing a, a I hero. Think that's an insult to Etrian Odyssey, right there. <laughs> it's in my maybe. Be. There was a little bit of a. I will say, like you said, Mike. I played the Super Nintendo uh, version. Uh, I didn't go for all of these and the vows of the original NES version. Um, thankfully, there are a bunch of fans who did a fan translation, and I wish I could shake their hand. They did a super awesome job. I didn't run into any bugs. I mentioned the bugs on the first one, but uh, some minor bugs on the first one, uh, which may or may not have been the translation patch. But on the second one, it played flawlessly, and everything was translated really well. No problems whatsoever. So so they just did an, an awesome job on this. Um and being able to play it with Super Nintendo graphics and music and everything, just a huge improvement over the original NES version. Uh, it it sounded and play and looked better than Dragon Warrior Four that I played on the NES back in the day. Anywho, um, everything about Dragon Warrior Two is bigger than the first game. You get three party members instead of one. You got uh, several continents to visit instead of one. The original continent that you spend the entire game in, in the first one, it's in the second one, but it's only one of several continents you're going to you're gonna get to visit. Um, there's there's more, a little bit more story, more, 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 a lot more NPCs to talk to, more places to go to. Usually, bigger is better, but that's not always the case here in Dragon Warrior 2. Um... At the beginning, with the SNES version anyways, you get this kind of cool cutscene where you see a bunch of bad guys, demons and such, break into a castle, um, causing all kinds of mayhem and death and destruction. I thought that was kind of cute. Uh, so it cuts over to, the, to another castle where you, the Prince of Maidenhall, are sent out 
by your father, the king, to stop this evil, evil because you guys are descendants of the hero from the first dragon warrior. And since his blood flows through your veins, you must be qualified <laughs> to go out and stop this evil. So he gives you a whopping hundred gold pieces or something like that from the treasury, a copper sword, and tells you good luck. This this is the kind of dad you want, right? He's the king of a – he could give you more than a hundred gold, but he's stingy. Just wrong, Mike. I, I wonder what would happen if Queen Elizabeth sent one of her relatives out on a quest like this. Would right? she be a little more generous? She would. She'd give, like the, she'd give him at least the Platinum Visa card. Something. <laughs> yeah, and if you've got a royal charge account, then you don't really need to worry about ever paying that off. Right, right. So it's not it's not uh, too much further in the game. It is a little further, but not too much further. We run into the uh, the next two characters that join your party, uh, another prince, uh, the Prince of Canuck and the Princess of Moonbrook. Uh, and they will join your party and fill the roles of cleric and wizard. Um, so – and then a little bit after that, you get a boat. And that's – that was the first ah, cool moment of this game because having the extra party members definitely much – very helpful, very nice, but you have more enemies to fight, so battles still take about as long. But once I got a boat, it's like a, when you start sailing around, it's like this world is huge. And there's some general direction. I think one of the NPCs said, hey, you should go across this channel here and visit this other continent. And I think what caught my mind, what caught my eye was it was the, the first continent. The name of that continent was the same as the first continent in the, or the only continent in Dragon Warrior 1. So, okay, no-brainer. Go across the strait. And there's the the first uh, the first continent. It's a little smaller, like they shrunk it down, or they pulled the camera up further. So I'm like, oh, this is so cool! I just played this last month. The 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 the, the, the whole continuity thing is really kicking in. And I and I take my boat around. And and in the first game, you never get a boat. So the fact that you have this boat in the second one means you can kind of approach the land in a way you couldn't in the first game. You can go to the first castle in the first game, and you have to, and there's some people to talk to. The The, the town has changed over 100 years, the town and, and the city and the stuff. Uh, so you talk to those people there, but what's really cool is in the first game, when you play the first game, the, the castle you start out in and the castle you finish the game in in the first game are separated by a river. But you can't swim, and you don't have a boat in the first game, so you spend the entire 15 hours of the game you know going through quests and stuff to get the rainbow the the rainbow drop that builds a bridge so you can get across that 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 strain of water but here in this game you've got a boat and you can see the ending castle to the first game right there <laughs> so without anybody telling me to curiosity kicks in I'm like oh damn that's the final castle from the first game i'm going to go across there and, and just see what happens no one really directed me to it just looks like something fun to do i went to that dungeon the monsters were kind of tough i grinded up a bit made my way to the bottom and it's the enemy from the first game but not really him it's his descendant and i'm really expecting a fight here and i'm down on on resources and the stuff but i take the risk anyways and no he doesn't want to fight me he wants to share some advice he's kind of he's also against this new bad guy that's taken over it's the enemy of my enemy type of thing and he gives us some good advice about five relics that need to be found in order to proceed and make my way towards the really bad guy that's causing all these problems. I thought that was a really neat twist. He had a little bit of personality to him and stuff, and now I'm really feeling this game. I was like, it was really cool for them to tie if you, especially if you just come off the first game, all of this stuff is recognizable. It was just, it was just really, really awesome. 
So I go back to my ship. I've got the two or three other continents to explore. Open worldism starts kicking in. I just start sailing everywhere, exploring, grinding. I'm going into cities. I'm finding keys that are needed to open up doors. Uh, as you're going around the world, like the first dragon, dragon warrior, there's gold doors and jail doors and stuff that need specific keys to open them. So as I'm finding these keys, I'm wanting to go back to the old towns and try them out and see what I can find. And so the open worldness is kicking in. I'm finding stuff. I, I came across one or two uh, of the five needed relics doing so. And eventually, though, I start running out of things that I'm finding. And, and, and I have only got two of the five relics. I'm not even sure where to take the relics once I found them all. I start talking to more NPCs. I'm getting a bunch of vague clues. One of them's like, I, I got a screenshot in my review. It's like, there is a rumor that the watercress is in the town of Hamlin. I'm like, can, can we get any more vague? First of all, it's not even a fact. It's just a rumor that it's in a town that is like 500, 500 tiles big. Uh, so I kept searching, searching. I finally, finally broke down frustration, opened up a fact. And that's where my happiness with this game started to descend because as I started reading where the rest of these quests were, uh, uh, crests were at, and I went and picked them up and found them, they're in the most asinine, illogical places that you would never think to look. And the vague clues that the NPCs give you aren't all that helpful. So I went to that town. I think it's the Hamlin one that I'm thinking of. When you get to, uh, if it's the one I'm thinking of, anyways, one of the crests you go to. When you go to the town, you're looking all over. You're searching on every square. You're not going to find anything. But there, it, there's a gold door. You open it up with the gold key. You go down into the staircase, and there's a jail cell with two demons in it. Well, curiosity says, going to open it up with my jail key and kick their ass. Maybe they have a crest on them, right? Who knows? Who cares? Maybe they got a powerful sword. I'm going to kick their ass. Open up the jail cell, kick their ass. I don't get anything. Look at the FAQ. It makes it clear that what you got to do is you got to kick their ass, and then you got to do the search command on the square beside where you kick their ass. And there's not, it's not like they dropped a key or it said, hey, something clinked on the ground. There's no indication that you should go search over there. You would just – whoever played this back in 1987 without a strategy guy, I feel for them. But, but, but the woes don't begin – the insanity is just beginning. So after following the FAQs to pick up the rest of the crest and one or two other magic items they need to go for, forward, eventually you get uh, you get pushed towards the second to last dungeon in the game, the cave that leads you to the final the final land. I forget what the hell it's called. Um, and this dungeon, boys and girls, is is arguably the darkest dungeon of all of RP gaming. It it it's. It's matched maybe only with the dungeons and that which name shall not be spoken. The Cave to Road. It has a reputation for breaking RP gamers' will to live. It has more twists, turns, and misdirections than a used car salesman. The, the, now, the first game, it had a couple of twists and turns, especially in that final castle. I remember in particular... To like to get to the staircase that even let you into the dungeon, I think you had to go behind the throne and do a search command or use a key item. And there was—I don't remember any great clues that 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 led you in that direction. But in this game or in that dungeon, it's like multiply that by sixty. There, there is—I I give you an example here. You guys know in Legend of Zelda, there's that forest that you have to—you have to. That if you keep going one direction, it keeps repeating itself. So you have to go like north, east, west, south in a certain order, right? You remember that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and that one, that one would be kind of hard to figure out if it wasn't for the fact there's an old man who explains to you exactly which way to go. He says up, up, left, right is the key. 
So that's a clue when you get to that forest. And, and my friends, you know, we were able to figure that out back in the day. This one has a hallway that's just like it, except a four or five combination. It's like 15 different directions you have to go to make it work. And there's no NPC giving you a clue. You would have to go through the process of elimination. You would probably have to do 200 combinations before you figure this crap out. Oh my gosh. And if I see one more room that has like, like you walk, walk into a room that literally has 17 staircases, like within view, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, which one's the right one to go to the next floor? You're pretty sure it's only one. Or, or do, where, where do I start with the room that has only one staircase going? Cause you're heading up in the cave. But once you start walking to it, a pit trap drops you down below. Okay, fine. You have to walk out of this gosh forsaken big huge ass pit to the staircase up to take you back up to where you're at before, uh, which you'll trigger like four random encounters on the way. Now you can see the pit where you fell in before, so you can easily avoid that. Oh, but as soon as you do, oh, there's another pit. Rinse and repeat, this floor has no less than 30 pits. All of them placed in whatever logical route is the shortest way from here to here. I mean, it's like they designed those pits to where as soon as you trigger one, you're going to naturally head for number two and then naturally head for number three. Oh, it's all thought out, my friends. There is no easy... No, no. It is it is evil incarnate. The toughest enemies in this game is not the bosses and it's certainly not the random enemies. It's the cave to Roan. And the final castle with the bad guy and that's not very nice either. But the cave to Roan... Oh, words do not begin to describe this. It's so bad that a fact was not enough. I had to use a fact from one website and illustrated maps from another website. And I couldn't depend on one or the other. I had to use them in conjunction. (laughs) And I still messed up a number of times. It's evil. 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 Yeah. So... Yeah, I can't emphasize this enough, boys and girls. Without the hate of a guide, I I want you to write it. If you honestly, sincerely beat this game without a guide or a fact or a friend to help you out, let me know because you are Superman. You are are the most patient person in the world. There's just no way. I did. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. (laughs) No, you didn't. No. No. Well, Phil, uh, should we throw out the caveat that there are, in fact, people who got this way back in the day and I don't know it could have been in the middle of the summer and you're a kid and you literally have nothing else to do but deal with this over and over and over I, I, Ex- I explore all 17 staircases yeah you know like I, that's what I'm really questioning I mean you'd have to have all that time to, to really test the theory but if I had all the time in the world would I eventually figure I honestly believe you figure out number one it has a couple of hidden things that are irritating but I honestly think you'd figure that out Zelda has a hidden, like Ganon's dungeon, I think. The last one was hidden. You had to bomb all the walls. I'm not even sure if there was even a clue to do that. But I know people who figure that out without the Nintendo Power Guide. I use the Nintendo Power Guide. But I know people who figure that out without... I don't know if people could figure this one out. Because this is this is Zelda on steroids. All the secrets in Zelda times a million. I, I don't know. I don't know. I would love to hear someone's story if I they know, did. I know it doesn't sound as crazy as the stuff with the Tower of Draga, but... Oh, yeah. Jeez. Whew. Anyways, I mean, people figure out the craziest stuff somehow. I don't know how, but they do. They do. So yeah, there's probably somebody somewhere, Mike, that has done it. But as you said, we should cru- if we were crushing the rose-colored glasses, Phil says the final word is this. 
Um, I I did enjoy it on a uh, you know at the end of the day, especially enjoyed the first half of the game. Overall, I'm still glad that I did it because I want to understand the game's place in the series, and I want to understand the series as a whole, its place in history. It is you know one of the 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 it is the most popular probably you know console RPG series in Japan. So I want to experience it as a whole, both warts and all with its warts and all. And this is definitely one of those warts. Um, so for me, that that in and of itself was was worth it for that element there. But um, without the uh, the rose colored without those rose colored glasses, I cannot recommend this game uh, to friends. I cannot. Without a guide, even great note taking prolonged patience will probably not allow most people to ever complete this game. With its arbitrarily and horribly designed hidden items and dungeons required, not optional. These puzzles and require uh, items are required for completion, and not just one. There's multiples, multiples of these things. Even with the guide, which you will have your nose stuck to for the last half of the game, the game doesn't offer enough, in my opinion, to offset its weaknesses. It, like I said, if you're trying to play the complete series, want to learn more about the history, and you don't mind relying on the strategy guides, give it a shot. Otherwise, give it a pass. So that's the final word. Next month is uh, Dragon Warrior 3. I think we might be playing that one for two months. It's a little bit of a longer game. But, uh, yeah, if you want to join us and join in on the discussion stuff, join us at rpgamer.com. While you're doing that, we're going to take a tiny break, and we'll wrap this up with the final app. hanging in there as we test how long this podcast can go. This is the final lap where we just uh, read your comments, uh, do the kitchen sink stuff, and whatever. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do this a little differently this time. We're gonna we're gonna do the round table first and ask our guest and host. Are you doing anything new on the site? Playing anything fun, new, exciting, and different? Anything you want to share with the audience? We'll start with Mr. Nathan. <laughs> I can oh, continue with, like this last last week. I'm sorry I, with him after I fix his audio problem there. Sorry about that, Nathan. You were fading out. What'd you say? Uh curse the setup. But anyways, just like last week I am still addicted to Final Fantasy fourteen. So Isn't it awesome? It. Yeah, it is. How are you doing it so far? I mean um, I can't remember I'm, what level you're up to. I'm holding around level thirty five, four thirty four. My gladiators thirty four, thirty five. Ah. Arcanus ah. is catching up to that with the conjurer classes because mm-hmm. my brother, who's also playing the dragon warrior, is joined. Both our brothers have uh, have joined us. Uh, I've got a couple of friends now. I'm like a salesperson for Final Fantasy fourteen. <laughs> but anyways, we're Let's waiting for. Yeah, we're waiting for him to catch up so that we can do Titan or whatever it's called, the thirty five. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Titan normal mode. Yeah. Story, Titan story mode, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Just Titan. We're going to do it together for the first time. We've actually got a whole team of Lala fell now. So we've been <laughs> running dungeons together, team of Lala's. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got all the roles covered. It's awesome. 
Okay, for my part, I am far away from the level 30 grind and deep into the in-game grind, which mm. I am still hesitating on going deeper into the high-end binding coil for Hobbits and the extreme mode primals, but otherwise I am doing quite well, and because I am have just begun my eighth book of the nine kind of books, The Trials of the Brave, the quest for getting the Animus Relic, which is the fourth tier relic, which is a really good weapon that's been really hard to get because it takes a lot of effort. But it's been kind of interesting in its own right. And I've been making much faster progress than I thought, which is kind of nice. I expected to get about one book a week, and I'm actually slightly ahead of that. So it's going pretty smoothly. I might actually get it done before my current subscription period is up, which is... I hoped to get six books done by this period being over, and I might get all nine, which is nice. And these books are not easy to do, either, since, you know... First, to get the relic, you need to go a big, long quest involve fighting a bunch of, of the, the, all the hard-mode primals. Well, the first three hard-mode primals. That's just to get your relic. And then you need to upgrade that by spending 900 myth tomes, which, back when I first did this, was a decent investment. That gets you your zenith relic. Then you need to do the Atma grind to get the Atma relic, which is basically you basically wander around zones fighting in the, the various events called Fates for a few hours until you get one Atma. Then you do that again to get all 12. and It, it takes forever, and you're basically at the whim of the RNG, and everyone hates it, and it just kind of sucks. But it, you get it over with, and this you get the Atma relic, which, for all of that effort, is exactly the same power as the previous Zenith relic. No increase in power whatsoever. To make it more powerful, you need to go through the Trials of the Braves, which is of nine books, which you need to do one at a time. Each book costs 1,500 myth tomes, which is about a week's worth of, of dungeon running. And the, uh, once you get the book, you need to kill 100 particular enemies, run three fates, run three guild levs, and run three dungeons. And then repeat the next book for a total of 900 enemies, 27 fates, 27 levs, and 27 dungeons. Plus, you know, all the stuff you had to do to get the myth tomes, which is a grand total of 12,500 myth tomes. Which is, you know, a lot more than 900 you needed for the Zenith Relic. Hmm. And I'm almost done with that. And that's, that's, like, and, and that's fun, right? <laughs> well, at least it's interesting. It gives me some structure to find the game, which is appreciated, actually. It's a goal to strive for. But it is a grind, a long grind I'm not going to do again after this. Uh, there are some people who are apparently chasing after getting a, relic for, a, a fully upgraded relic for every class. These people are crazy. But especially since after this, there's still the Novus Relic to get, which is apparently even harder, since it involves spending a giant fortune of money for to get lots of material to meld in and gathering 75 items called Alexandrite, which are each, you know... There's a bunch of ways to get them, but they're all kind of a pain. So yeah, I'm going to be at this for a while longer before I get the Novus Relic. But when I do, I'll have the best weapon in the game. Hmm. Which is something. Fair enough. Um... So yeah, that's what I've been focusing on in terms of my video game playing recently. Grinding. Grinding like crazy. Grinding. <laughs> yes, yeah, an integral part of any RPG experience. Particularly when we're talking about MMO in-game. But... Yeah, yeah <laughs> can't live with it's it. This has been broken up by some cool, difficult fights, like, you know, trying Gruta Extreme Mode, which I died in five seconds, and the group broke up immediately, so ruining it right there. And Circus Tower, which is, you know, second part of the Crystal Tower, fighting Final Fantasy III bosses. Pretty fun. They're a little hectic and crazy, and sometimes you just don't know what's going on. No idea what's going on. Um, but it's still fun. 
RNG, random number generator, right? Is that what that's? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. I see that term thrown around a lot, and I wasn't 100% sure. It is the god of for all MMOs. Just it is also it. something that, that Fire Emblem players are very familiar with. Yeah, pray to RNG. Hope it does not. <laughs> oh, right. It gets benefit. Nothing's more awesome than that, that big boss who gets that 1% critical chance and kills me in one hit in, <laughs> um, in uh, Fire Emblem. That is so freaking awesome. Hardly know what to do luck. with myself. One more point of luck. You'd be fine. Yeah, right. Hmm. Okay. Anything else? Well, other than that, went to the California State Fair recently. My annual pilgrimage to that, and that's always fun. What you do uh, at the fair? Do you do, like, the rides and stuff? No, I can't stand rides. Instead, I wander around, grab some food this year, enjoyed my annual cinnamon roll, because the State Fair cinnamon rolls are delicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And mostly looked at all the art exhibits they have there because there's a whole large galleries of you know fine art and youth art and industrial art and stuff forth like that. And that's always really cool to look at. Hmm. Yeah, Shirley likes it. We, did, we went out to the Utah Fair this year because uh, Shirley likes that stuff too. Mm-hmm. And there's some really cool stuff. Like apparently, apparently high schoolers are doing taxidermy these days. I, I was not aware of this, but they are. And it's kind of cool. Go teenagers. Stronger or braver people than I am. Okay. How about, uh, what's that other guy who's on the show today? Oh, Maps. That's right. <laughs> how's it going? Hey, how's it going, Mike? Good. Glad you're on the show today. Yeah. So I've been playing a first person dungeon crawler that is not a Tree Odyssey called Demon Gaze. Well, that sounds like fun. It's I think I've fun. heard of this one. It's yeah. really, really long, isn't it? It's actually not that long. I just have no had no patience for the grinding required to get past a few choke points, so it's taken forever. Ah, there we are with that grinding thing again. Yeah, but it's it's pretty good. It's uh, as I think I mentioned before. It's obviously not as good as the Etrian Odyssey games. But it does uh, some nice things that separate it from your usual wizardry-type game uh, with a weird story that has some decent moments, so it's it's okay. Um, I also recently uh, decided to say screw it and imported a Japanese 3DS, so I've been playing some Monster Hunter 4 and sampling Dragon Quest Seven on the 3DS. I, I am quite jealous. Actually. Yes. Um, Whoa, there's a Dragon Quest Seven on this. Th- where? Where? On the 3DS. Really? Where do I get one yes. of these? You uh, have to buy a Japanese 3DS. Yes. Aww, I want the English version. I don't do that Japanese stuff. Yeah. Then, then obviously we yes, need to pray. Do... No, no, not pray. <laughs> what we do is form a mar- the Million Gamer March. And we march on Nintendo headquarters in Redmond, Washington, and say, "Give us you know, Dragon Quest Seven. <laughs> the five billion million Moogle march scheme to get five that happened way back when. Maybe. Huh. This is a thing. Hey, we, we know online petitions are worthless to Nintendo. We got to do something <laughs> more demonstrative. Yeah, well, I think Nintendo isn't the one to ask right now because you know we can only accept their kindness and helping us out with Dragon Quest so long. For- we should just get mad at Square for it all over again. Yeah. Um, honestly, you look at the sales of Briefly Default, and I say, um, yeah, Dragon Quest Seven could do that. 
easily, I think. Good. It's it's gorgeous. It's, it's legendary. Gorgeous. Um, it, they they uh, they cut down the long intro the game is known for. Like I obviously don't the, really know any two, Japanese. The two and a half hour long freaking puzzle, freaking ass dungeon at the beginning of the freaking beep and beep and game. Yeah, oh, until you get to the cool real game afterwards. Yeah. I uh, got through that in slightly over two hours, knowing no Japanese and only consulting, um, like. Wait, a, so it's still there? A, I thought I thought they had gotten rid. No, of there's it. no puzzle. I'm saying that I got through oh, it. Okay. Knowing no Japanese, uh, and just consulting walkthrough maybe once or twice uh, in a, over two hours, and that's with no puzzles. So you know, obviously in English, you could probably breeze through it in like an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I even had fun just wandering around the freaking really good-looking world. I mean, the that game was certainly not known for its graphics, and this one would certainly be known for its graphics, which well, just it, it, seems to help uh, these classic type RPG cells. So wait, yeah, wait, they, they reworked the graphics, or they? I'm, I'm a little confused. Uh, they completely redid the graphics. Ooh, I want it with all three D graphics. Now. Yeah, all three D. All 3D, great models, very oh, colorful. I want one. Lots, lots of great animations. They have to get it done before we get to 7 in our RPG track. Well, I mean, it came out in Japan like last February, I want to say. So, um, although you know, some of those Dragon Quest games have obviously taken a long time to localization, and the never say never. Epic. Yeah, it, huge script. So I wouldn't. I would definitely not rule it out just yet. But um, there's been no signs as of yet. And you know, there's also I also picked up one of the Dragon Quest Monsters games for 3DS, which is nice, but um, not really a huge loss there. Uh, but that would have been kind of cool. Uh, the last one on. Uh, DS was pretty cool, so yeah. But, you know, more importantly, something that we will see, uh, Monster Hunter 4 is fantastic. So jealous. And we're getting an improved version of it, so yeah. Yeah, that's going to be really good. Hmm. Uh, What else have I been playing? Uh, I've got one of those nifty Retron 5s which I recently played through the original Dragon Warrior on, which is great because it's got save states, which makes getting through the original Dragon Warrior a lot easier. A lot. <laughs> yes, a lot. A lot. Well, specifically <laughs> on that that darn last boss who can basically just one-shot kill you with the right spell. Uh, and speaking of RNG, nothing's worse than rolling a low RNG when he casts a sleep spell on you. Yeah. And then you die. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he cast the sleep spell on you in the original NES version. That no. never happened to me. He, he did on the SNES version. And he can sleep well, ya. I mean, it's well, a random chance, though. It, it is a random chance, but yeah, you're the only person in the party. He sleeps ya, then he gets a few whacks <laughs> on ya. And it's like, a, for me, at the level I was at, it was like, a, when that happened, it was like a 60-70% chance I was going to die. Sometimes yeah. I would wake up with like 20 hit points left and would quickly, you know, try to cast a curing spell or two. And then there was the time that I cast like one cure spell, he put me back to sleep again, then he killed me. <laughs> nice. So cute. Uh, yeah, but it was interesting going back to that game and, you know, the one-on-one combat. It, it, 
it's kind of aged better than I thought it would, other than uh, the large amount of grinding required. But I definitely had fun with it, and I also got the NES versions of 2 and 4, uh, which I'll probably actually go to 4 next. Yeah, don't do 2. No, don't. Yeah, because <laughs> I love the DS version of 4, so I'm just curious about playing the original. So so why are you playing the original NES version again? Oh, I just I got one of those Retron N5, so I just... So, oh, up. one of those fancy... Oh, that's yeah. right, the ones that, that so, do everything, yeah. Yeah, so I picked up some old games to play on it. Yeah. You know, especially since it does saves on the system, so you don't have to worry about any battery issues yeah. with any old cartridges you pick up. That is very cool. Uh, yeah. Dragon Dragon Warrior Four. I mean, I'm, now I'll be playing the DS version, but that's the only one that in the past I've actually played more than a couple of hours. Uh, actually, <laughs> beat that one because I had my mother had given me. That's what really got me into console um, RPGs. Um, I had only played Final Fantasy one before that, and and Final Fantasy one was okay, but it just didn't win me over uh, as much as it went over other people because I had played computer RPGs like the, you know the Gold Box D and D games and the such. It wasn't until Dragon Warrior four, which felt like it had uh, you know a deeper story, characters that I cared about, um, and, and the such. So yeah, and you can beat it without a fact because we didn't have facts back in ninety. <laughs> no, I, I didn't even have the Nintendo Power for that one. I, I just had to wing it. Nice. Uh, I think that's about it. I've got so I'll, I'll be reviewing Demon Gaze. I might do. I'm probably going to do a retro re- review of Dragon Warrior. Uh, some impressions for Disgaea Four on Vita. Uh, since I've already reviewed it, it'll just be you know how it plays on the Vita and some of the new stuff. And I'll probably do an impression import impression for. Dragon Warrior Seven, or not ugh, Dragon Quest Seven, at some point. So yeah, that's about all I got going on because I'm not doing the mailbag anymore. Mailbag. Goodbye, mailbag. Oh man, had a good run. In four years. Hmm. Crazy. And that a lot of that was uh, thanks to Mike, who constantly <laughs> sent me insanely long letters that lasted me several weeks. So, thank you for that. Well, every now and again, I would just get the feeling that you needed some content, because without my letters, the columns tended to be pretty short. Yeah. They, when people nope. send messages via Twitter, they... <laughs> the, the responses, unless you go off on lengthy tangents, aren't going to be very long. Yeah, uh, yeah, and a lot of people sent just shorter emails when they did send an email or, you know, on the forum. So it's nice to have those nice long exchanges. Hmm. Righty, how about you, Mr. Minky? Oh, gosh. I knew I shouldn't because I have new things I need to play, but I was poking around in my library of stuff on my 3DS card, and what do you know, I just started playing Fire Emblem Awakening again, and you know what, I, I'm i remembering why I gave that game a high rating last year, because it's really, really good. <laughs> Otherwise, I have only played two hours of it, enough to find out that it, for some reason, has loading screens, even though I downloaded 25 bloody gigs to my hard drive, so it shouldn't need to load. But uh, I am... What am I? I'm an elf mage. A male elf mage in Dragon Age Origins, and I'm uh, trying to help my friend 
avoid being forcibly tranquilized, I think was the setup right now. Uh, I'm liking it so far, with the caveat that since since I finally bowed to the need to get a PC controller and it hasn't arrived yet, camera controls suck. Oh my, <laughs> do they suck with the keyboard. <laughs> well, you could always zoom out into like the old Baldur's Gate type view. I do I that. Really you like still that. need to control the camera, though. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't, the, I was the not mas- a big the fan of the PC zoom out isn't enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, my my laptop, it just keeps on trucking, but playing that thing does make the fan kick on to heavy duty frequently. <laughs> but I remember it having to do that for the KOTOR game, so I guess I can't be too concerned, because it handled those just fine. And I just downloaded, haven't played any of it yet, Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky on Steam. So we'll see. Cool. We shall see. Eventually I will do a review for the site, and what do you know? This will probably be a Steam review game that is significantly better than the last Steam review game I did. <laughs> you, you, We might remember me mentioning that thing. Something about a war or something? Yeah. Something about either generations or a record of it. Yeah. Because <laughs> you will feel like you've been in there for generations by the time it's done. Uh, yeah, I think the odds are fairly good that Trails in the Sky will be better than that. We we can take bets, of course, but the odds are good. I think it would have to be the worst <laughs> port of that game ever to even approach uh, the, the badness of Agarest. Is it even a port? It's originally some PC, wasn't it? That's true. It was. Yeah, so... So I, I guess if Xseed, that company we all know for its terrible quality assurance, has <laughs> loaded this thing with slowdown that crashes all the time, that corrupts my machine with a virus, and it, all of the text is now rendered as incomprehensible squiggles, the battles are completely nonsensical, and I have no idea what I'm doing, and it looks like some acid trip show where I definitely need to have substances in my system in order to make sense of anything, then we might be close to the level of that previous Steam game I reviewed. Even then, though, I might see some innate charm here that that game did not possess. Well, you know, this is a Falcom game, so music, I'm going to bet on that. Right, I, I should mention that for this to be... Actually, I did like the music in Agra, that other game. But I realized that makes... Maybe it was just being clubbed over the head enough with it. Maybe more <laughs> something, anything that I could kind of praise. And yeah, Falcom. I don't think Yuzo Koshiro had anything to do with this particular soundtrack, but the guys worked with Falcom a lot. I think he had a hand in many Ease game scores. So... Since I'm going to try and power through Dragon Age Origins in the next couple of weeks so that I can informally talk about it on our next episode, hint, hint, uh, I may not have much time for Trails in the Sky until after that, but I will. And, okay, since I always do this, let's talk about a few movies. I saw Maleficent. Was it good? It was pretty good. It had a number of things, a number of scenes that didn't connect too well, but Angelina Jolie was a really good choice to play that role I I could comment that the king 
who takes her wings away and thereby makes her evil, which you can kind of understand. It makes sense in the story. He doesn't quite get enough development to the point where he's a well-rounded character. Instead, he just kind of reacts to doing what he had to do to become king and then kind of goes insane with the need to make sure that he kills her when she shows up. Uh, And I can also say that the fairyland where she lives reminds me a little of Avatar, but I guess you're going to get that nowadays because everybody and their uncle saw Avatar, so everyone knows uh, there's there's a good otherworldly location. (laughs) So blame James Cameron for that. Uh... I want to mention The Visitor, which is incomprehensible even by late 70s acid trip standards. I can tell you what individual things happen. There's a guy who's telling a bunch of bald-headed children in a white room somewhere about how two aliens fought each other once upon a time and they wound up on Earth eventually and the incomparably, insuperably, disastrously inconsequentially no, it it was just really evil that's how evil it was so evil turned into a bunch of birds and was killed and all the birds died and it almost died but it transferred its essence into an earth woman somehow and now there's one earth woman who has a kid which is evil the woman's the mother's not evil just her kid is evil and Lance Henriksen wants to marry this woman so that he can have more evil children with her and there's an evil cable of people in some hidden corporate boardroom who are trying to make him do this because they they have some stake in it and John Houston is an alien of some kind and he's the alien that's going to stop the evil girl and the evil girl actually tells Glenn Ford to shove it up his ass and she does it with a heavy southern accent which makes it even stranger and more annoying and John Houston summons a bunch of birds out of the sky at the end and one of them turns into a statue that sprouts a spike out of its mouth and punches Lance Henriksen through the throat and trust me it makes just as much sense when you see the thing so that was among the more incomprehensible things I've ever seen and I want to give a shout out to an actual good horror movie The Boogans from 81 which is well, just check it out if you actually want to see a decent horror movie, because most of them, let's face it, are not good. And I think that'll do for now. Hmm. Uh, I played uh, some more Shimigami Tensei, Strange Journey. I went back to the insanity. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, you know, and here's a here's a good example. This is like a difference between that and that, that, that game I just talked about. Like, so I got stuck in Strange Journeys. I mentioned on a podcast earlier, and I kind of took a break and played Final Fantasy V, which uh, which was super awesome and kind of led me to wanting to do some more older games that I've missed in my in my past and doing this RPG Trek thing. Well, I went back and played Strange Journey, which you know with that stopping point and stuff, and I went ahead and looked at an FAQ. It had to do with those damn dark hallways that if I was playing Entries and Odyssey, I could map them out and figure it out. What I, you know, what wall I hadn't touched yet, and tried to open up yet, or whatever have you. When I looked it up on the fact, uh, there's a, there was a nice somebody had taken time to make a nice map and show where those invisible walls lead to and how they work. And I could see that the door, there were the door that was there. It was just I had not searched every single wall. 
which is kind of what you're supposed to be. I knew that was the area it's supposed to be in. I knew I was supposed to search every wall. Somehow I must have missed that one particular wall segment, and that's why I was beating my head up against the wall. Again, I'm not saying that dark walls are a great design decision. They're not. But to me, that's, uh, you know, that door, which I probably should have touched or tried to get through or whatever, that's a lot more acceptable to me than the arbitrary 900 staircases that all lead to hell that is Dragon Warrior 2's last dungeon. <laughs> it was just, you have to use an FAQ. Whereas this one, you look you look at an FAQ because I got a stopping point, I got stuck, and when I saw the solution, I was like, oh yeah, I should have figured that out. That's something I could have figured out. I would say with Strange Journey, every time so far that I've hit a stopping point, whether it's a boss encounter or a weird-ass hallway or a trap or whatever have you, Every time I've gone back and looked at the FAQ, it's something I realized I could have figured out or something I had already figured out. But as we were talking about RNGs before, it's really funny. On a couple of boss battles I got frustrated on, it turns out I was using the right strategy. It's just I got unlucky with some of those uh, – with some of those, uh, you know, somebody getting one shot at the wrong person dying too early or whatever. So a little extra leveling or just a little, you know, try that boss battle again and I get right through. I was like, oh, okay, so it's not that I'm stupid. I just need to give it another shot. So my frustration level Strange Journey is much, much lower than Dragon Warrior was. Anywho, um, and that's pretty much it. We talked about 14, which is the other game I'm really playing. So, yay. We're going to uh, just a couple of quick comments. You can you can go to head over to board.rpgamer.com. You can join in the conversation. We have a thread for each game that or for each game, each podcast that we do. Last episode was 123 Konami's Trail of Tears. Um uh, Oh yes, yeah. We've got a few comments here, and I I understand Mr. Apps would have his own thoughts on the subject matter of this last one. Uh, yes, I'll give you the short version. Uh, Sweet Coden Five is slow but really good, and oh god, how do you pronounce the DS game? Tear Christ, Tear Christ, Tear Christ, whatever it is, uh, is a really really good RPG, but not up to the standards of the rest of the series. There you go. Oh, okay. I forgot about four. Um, uh, I don't know there. (laughs) It's really good, but just don't expect the same kind of experience as the rest of the series, which is a shame. What the heck was that? That's not bad. Did somebody just zip something up? I have no idea what that was. (laughs) Okay. We're in the land of random sands now. Uh... Victor commented, well, actually, had quite a bit of commenting about Spicoden 5. Let's see. Yeah, he's commented that Silides treats the prince like a helpless infant. I I can see that. She, I, That seems to be a problem with a lot of people who have grown up alongside people who are just now coming to the point where they're able to make their own decisions. And... Yes, as far as the title of that last episode, there's a choice here. You can either choose to believe that Konami has such an amazing PR department that it was able to squelch its involvement in a comparable move of some indigenous people somewhere else. Not necessarily the (laughs) the United States Trail of Tears, in which a quarter of the people moved, died of disease, and the rest were shoved on into what became Oklahoma and what was Indian ter- territory at the time, and would of course only stay Indian territory as long as there was nothing that settlers wanted to take uh, from them. But 
I was not intending to have that kind of connotation for the title of a backtrack in the RPG realm, although I think it would be very interesting if someone comes up with a story set around that kind of event. In fact, how about setting one during that event? And, I don't know, having you be a Choctaw member or something who wants a better deal for his people than escort to where the United States Army says you can go. That might be a very loaded issue, though. <laughs> um, well, and, I, and um, uh, he said, I was surprised to learn that RP Gamer staffs think so highly of DS Suikoden. Perhaps I should prioritize it on my backlog. I would suggest, Victor, that first you learn how to pronounce the game correctly. It's Suikoden Tiramisu. <laughs> Okay, so get that right, and then you can talk about your backlog. Mm, Tiramisu. Yeah. I can go for some of that right now. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, So... And then Ocelot chimed in with saying that the Tear Christ has some great characters and a story that unfortunately fizzles about half the way through. And then after... Yeah, after getting involved in all those awesome political shenanigans that were a hallmark of the earlier titles, then you get to watch through some unnecessarily convoluted interdimensional stuff, which I don't remember being precisely my experience, and I certainly don't remember Nathan or Sam saying that last time, but Becky wasn't on the last show, so this is her only means of getting it out there. And, of course, she had to finish with... You never know until you try. That's never right. know until you try. That's why I'm doing the whole Dragon Warrior series. I want to try for myself. I mean, I can go and read reviews, but kind of, kind of knew that two might be a weak spot. But now I know what true pain and agony feel like. Not quite to the level of certain other people who play certain Steam games, but damn, it feels close. You know, Phil, we may have to do an episode in the future where you can expunge your demons from Cross Edge. Siltel uh, <laughs> uh, says the Final Fantasy V has a save point just before a mega weapon. Uh, Shira is just before you get to that one, though. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it was. I don't think it was a mega weapon um, that I fought. It was in a treasure chest, and that's I. Shinru. Really, I think yeah, that's Shinru. Yeah, and, yep. and Shinru is quite evilly placed a good 15 minutes from the last save point or so. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, a fair, it's like, you know, a couple areas since the last one, and it's, it's mostly right before the last save Yeah, point. it's not fatal, but uh, it's not like, uh, you know, what's really funny was in Dra- Dragon Warrior 2 when I was in the last castle, and you're hitting some of those random encounters, and there are random, e- there are enemies in that game, by the way. I forgot to mention this. The, I forgot to go into combat, but there, there's an enemy that casts one spell that can kill your entire group. If the RNG is not in your favor, I've had my entire group wiped, and I'm just, and it's not a, you know, I mean, in Dragon Warrior, death isn't too, too bad because you just go back to the last town, you keep your XP, you lose half the gold that you earned that, you know, if you, uh, you know, whatever. But, but the hard part of that was how far you had been in that dungeon. You had spent probably hours, you know, getting into that dungeon. Even if you knew where you were going, it was at least a solid hour. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, it's a recurring there, thing for the whole Dragon Quest series. There will oh, be enemies who try to kill you all, all in one attack. All in one shot, and the last time you saved was an hour ago, and 
And heaven forbid you didn't take notes on how you actually figured your way past the hallway of puzzliness because now you're going to have to figure it all out. Oh, no, I would have killed some. No. Uh, Silktail also says uh, most of Final Fantasy V's extra jobs are after all the legendary weapons, which admittedly you can skip to complete the game early. However, the final extra one is after a boss in the new bonus dungeon, which is after the main game, which I, I, I didn't I, – I don't – I don't know. I thought I got game over screen when I was done. Yeah, like I remember going, you know, little cut scenes at the end and stuff and music. Yeah, I and, don't know how that works in Game Boy Advance. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll have to fact that sometime from board. Uh, anyways, uh, I don't think uh, he, she, it says, uh, Bravely Default is too far off of Final Fantasy V's job or progression. You can it get is. most of the, It is? It is. It's yeah. not the same at all. Okay. Uh, they I'm cl- just going to disagree with that. You, you don't have to... You have to beat an, a boss, an individual boss, often a whole multi-hour side quest for every single job in Bravely Default. I like the game. I like its most jobs, but that is too slow. Right, because in five, they just kind of fall in your lap as you're going. Yeah, around. it's like they, they fall in lap in large quantities all the time. Yeah, those last <laughs> now, and the, and I think it's a Game Boy Advance enhancement, from what I understand. But those last three classes, you get like the ones after the uh, those artifact yeah, weapons the, or whatever. Uh, the cannoneer, the the, the, the alchemist, I think. Yeah, something. Don't you get the mimic if you go down and meet Gogo underwater? Yeah, the but mimics a you know it's a very interesting, unusual class. So that's it's a different category. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. It says while the second half is much longer, if you do the optional side quest boss battles, while both keep one slightly more powerful, useful job back until later in the game. Yes, bravely default does make you fight a battle for each job, jump making you jump through hoops. But I can't really say that the rest of the game is short with little chance to use these jobs. Yeah, well, again, you know, on bravely default, I am currently stuck trying to unlock like the second, the last, third to last job. It's just, you know, this optional dungeon, I had to, like, fight an entire arsenal of murderous dragons to even get in, and I walk in, and the red oh. are killing me, and I, it's getting really frustrating, and it's kind of burned me out on the game just trying to unlock a job. Is that the vampire castle? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah that sounds I'm, right. I, I've started to hate the vampire castle. Is that turn on easy? You turn it on easy? No, I, I don't turn it on easy, actually, but... I it's calling you. It's, it's calling you. Now I'm like I, I'm I, I kind of I I think I wrote a post about how I hate those sliders. Um, I I don't know. They just feel so meta to me. Um, okay, cool. Uh, I think that's all the comments. You two can leave your comments again at rpgamer.com and hit the message forum linky on the left. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. You can also. Write your comments to jcservant at rpgamer.com. No, 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 don't use that one. I disconnected that one. jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com um, and Albert Odyssey at hotmail.com because I got tired of handling all the spam in the rpgamer account. Uh, yeah, bad spam, bad. Mm. Just a reminder, thank you both for being here, uh, Mr. Nathan and that other guy who was here helping us tonight. <laughs> that um, other guy? Aw. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, you. Mike. <laughs> yeah. Always happy when you're on talking about Etrianasi, especially. That's a good game. So, um, so what are we doing next time, Phil? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I think you already hinted at that? Yeah, you already kind of hinted at that, so why bother? I kinda did, but yeah. you know, you, you usually do the formal announcement during the wrap up. So we're talking about 
Dragon Age Origins. Yeah, how many that dragons right. in an age? Right. You know, I played the Origins, so I'm not sure if I actually played the Dragon Age. Like, I should get back to that game sometime. Yeah, absolutely. And... I only played enough to know the dwarves are kind of cool. <laughs> we thank y'all for listening. If you've listened this far, man, God bless you. Um, you know what? We are going on and on and on tonight. <laughs> we're going on and on and on. It's like 1130. I don't even want to know how big this file is. We're going to get our hands slapped. Someone's going to be like, you know what? Your file sizes are just too big. Um, shoot. And oh hey, Age of Empires is on sale. Midweek Madness. Um, I'm sorry. Sure, uh, let's so. add extra seconds right after we describe how long this is. You know, I was opening my Steam account for a reason. <laughs> I was just gonna say, if you listen to this log, somebody deserves to win something. So shoot me off. I tell you what, go to Twitter, go to Twitter.com, uh, do at JC Servant. Shoot me off a message if you want a free Steam copy of Torchlight or Portal, because I got a copy of those. So tell me which one you want. I'll be happy to shoot it to you, uh, just for listening and being the first one. Or I'll keep giving out I run out copies, because I got a few copies. RP Gamer! RP Gamer. RPG Backtrack is a protection of RP Gamer. You're a source for RPG, and apparently a source for, uh, Sleepiness. Your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards. Email us, as I said before, and help shape our future shows. Leave us five-star comments or eight stars or how many stars there are over at iTunes. Don't forget to follow us at twitter.com forward slash rpgamer. Become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash forward slash rpgamer. You can listen to our huge growing library of our podcasts, now 124 and growing. As uh, as well as our sister shows, the RPG Cast and the Active Something Banter, something something something, all at rpgamer.com. Mr. Mike, please let us go to bed. Uh, if I had been playing an Entry Odyssey, I could have mapped out a whole lot of stratums by this time. So, uh, go cartography. Good night. Uh-huh.